and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hoger. We're here to talk about a video game that was released in the year 2000 for the N64. I should note that we are recording this the night of a full moon, which <laughs> I'm looking out my window. The full moon is looking right back at me, which is incredible. Is that the face? It sure does. It has a really big, scary face on it. That's right. We're talking about Majora's Mask. That's real, by the way. This is, it is it, real. It really is a full moon. I just looked it up to make sure. It's unreal. It's unbelievable. Anyway. Yeah, it's a picturesque fall day by me as well. Like I walked down a street and it was like all yellow fallen leaves, kind of like a tunnel of just like colors. Yeah. It was very transportive to this game's energy. <laughs> yeah. For, the, for those of you who are listening to this years after it's been released, uh, we are releasing this episode on Halloween night, the year. Happy Halloween, 2023. by the way. Happy Halloween. I hope you're all having a good time. What a, what a good Halloween video game. Uh, I, I'm so excited to be here. So excited to be doing this. So excited to finally play this game after years and years and years of telling myself that I would and never really like having the push to do it. I think... You and I, we, we've wanted to do this for a long time. We kind of had it yeah. earmarked for Halloween for a long time. But for me, obviously, I was never going to play it unless I had actually played through all of Ocarina of Time first. And what's weird, and we can talk about this more when we talk about like our history with Zelda and with this game in particular. But what's weird is like I've started this game a couple times and Ocarina of Time a couple times in the past to like see if maybe one of them would really connect with me. Like I bought a new 3ds to play majora's mask even though i had not played ocarina of time which was <laughs> bizarre um but it's one of the benefits of doing this show is that like every once in a while we just have a game it's like okay just this month we're just playing this game just get to focus on it and honestly that's like the push i needed to really get the full majora's mask experience so uh it's, it's an honor to be nominated thanks for having me Steven. <laughs> Also, playing this game with an actual real-life deadline is both, like, a blessing and a curse. <laughs> like, it really does add to the stress so much. Yeah. I do want to talk about that later, because uh, I, I think I think there's going to be a lot of uh, weirdly thematic callbacks to our episode about Ocarina of Time, which we did earlier this year. Um, you and I were talking before we started recording, but, like, this is... It's nice to have done Ocarina of Time just earlier this year, like, early enough that it's still... It's it's in it's in the frontal lobe of my brain. Like I still remember what we talked about. I remember my experience playing Ocarina of Time, which has informed so much of my playthrough of this game. It's it's pretty remarkable. So just a quick breakdown. Um, we're not going to talk spoilers for a while. Our plan is to just kind of talk about our history with Zelda. For those of you who have been listening to the show for a long time, it might be a little bit of like a repeat of some stuff you've heard before, but just bear with us. It's uh, also fitting for this game. That's true. That's results, a great so. point. It's thematic, okay? Yeah. Uh, our history with Majora's Mask uh, in general, and then we're just going to talk about the game spoiler free, our thoughts on it, our feelings about it, uh, what we think works and doesn't, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then after that, we'll, we'll get into spoilers. So, uh, we'll, we'll very vocally denote when we're going to spoil Majora's <laughs> Mask for you. Yeah. And then in our last section, we have a bit of a Q and a with, with some listener submitted questions. Thank you to everyone who sent those in. Yeah. There's a lot of really good ones. So mentally prepare yourself for this 72 hour episode of Into the Aether, <laughs> a low key video game podcast. So I'm kind if of we were really like fucked up in the head. We would do that. Yeah, I think <laughs> we would only do that. We would have done that two years ago, like right when the <laughs> pandemic started yes. or or like our last season when we're like 45, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. all right, here it comes. Our grand yeah. finale, 72 straight hours of talking yeah. about Majora's Mask. <laughs> exactly. Um, That's going to be our version of Community's six seasons in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> the real Majora's Mask episode. <laughs> I almost spit water everywhere. <laughs> I'm honestly really curious, like 
because this is your first time playing, at least in full, I really just want to know like what you thought like overall. Like, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about Zelda on the show, even outside of the bonuses. It's a franchise that means a lot to both of us. Yeah. We have had different entry points and I think we gravitate towards slightly different ones. But overall, this is like one of our like biggest points of connection to like mm-hmm. each other and games. And like, I think there's something about Zelda that just... You know, especially this this N64 era, like I think there's obviously like the top down ones are great and set the foundation, you know, linked to the past, Mm -hmm. but specifically in Link's Awakening. But the 3D era, the Ocarina of Time, I think really set this foundation of like Zelda games being much more emotional, for lack of a better phrase. I think not to say that the other games don't have like stuff to chew on thematically, They, they all kind of feel like legends and fables in a really fun way but there's something so deeply sad about ocarina that Mm. i think like touched a lot of people and i think it's just hands off enough in the story that like i think you can play ocarina at multiple points in your life and take something different away from it totally you know especially like we talk a lot in our episode about it like playing that game as a kid you just can't wait to grow up like that's like it's like yeah i, I just want to get the cool sword and like fight the bad guy and then playing as an adult it's like stop enjoy it like don't don't go to the hyrule market yet like just take your time enjoy yeah. your childhood and uh i think there's something about majora's mask as well and like pretty much every zelda since that just like especially you know playing these games at a foundational age like i think there's something about zelda without sounding hyperbolic that i think teaches people about life like i think you play these games at a formative age and it teaches you something like any good piece of art would about like the world and about maybe a concept that is a little bit frightening to explore for a child which Mm. i think majora's mask may even like not pull its punches for a game rated e (laughs) (laughs) uh some things are pretty explicit but uh but i I just think like there's something very special about all this so all that to say like i'm really curious like where does majora's mask like where where does it land for you what would you take away from this playthrough well i'm so excited to finally rank every (laughs) zelda game yeah yeah (laughs) sound graphics fun factor (laughs) how many masks are there Uh, yeah, most I, masks. It's the game with the most. It's the game with the most masks. Therefore, it's the best one. It, it's it's uh, how IGN has been rating games for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. Anyway, yeah, I, I I guess just a quick recap. I started playing Zelda games with Twilight Princess. That was the first one that I like played all of. Um, I got a Nintendo Wii the day it came out. I waited in line at a Toys R Us. A cold November morning at a Toys R Us in uh, I think New York. I think I, I I checked a lot of Toys R Uses. And ended up in in New York State uh, to to find a Toys R Us that still had Wii's in stock, and got one, got Twilight Princess and Red Steel, uh, and went home and played Twilight Princess and not Red Steel. Shit. Uh, <laughs> and uh, just like fell in love immediately. I'd always wanted to play a Zelda game. I'd always heard about how great they were. I grew up with the PS2 and the Sega Genesis, and just really wanted to like get into Nintendo stuff, and had no real avenue to do that. So the Wii was really like my first real, in terms of home consoles. I had a Game Boy and, and a DS and stuff, but. Twilight Princess really got me on the train and ever since I've always wanted to go back and play all the other ones and uh, through both just like myself going out there in the world and doing that kind of stuff like playing the Game Boy Advance stuff playing the stuff on the DS um, eventually playing like the Wii U and like the Switch stuff through all of that I 
constantly would go back and try Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask like all the time. Uh, it, it was like once a year I would like open an emulator or if it was on a virtual console somewhere I would like get it on the Wii and the Wii U uh, and, and just boot it up and like really try to get into it. And in both cases with Ocarina of Time and with, and with Majora's Mask like I just I just couldn't make it happen. Um, I don't I don't know why why it never clicked but for me the thing that really stuck in my head was that I wanted to play Ocarina of Time because I wanted to play Majora's Mask. Like Majora's Mask is the Zelda game that I've always wanted to play. It is the one that I think seemed like it had the, had the most to chew on in terms of like j- even just the artistry of video games in a lot of ways. You know what's going on thematically. It just seemed like like freaky. You know the the reputation this game has is like most people. I, I feel like people on the internet when they talk about Majora's Mask, they talk about it in the same terminology that they would use to describe a horror game in a lot of cases. Yeah, and that just seemed like very interesting to me like the reputation of this game leading up to it just seemed like as a kid who grew up you know asking my parents to play nightmare before christmas over and over and over again and like just watch that on repeat like majora's mask really really seemed like the kind of thing that i was going to love but always knew i could never get into it unless i played ocarina of time first so just having that like bounce back and forth i think always stuck with me and when i was in college and i'm sure there's a question about this somewhere in the list oh there is actually but when i was in college it was 2010 and that was when the the creepy pasta thing happened with ben, oh uh, ben drowned with ben drowned yeah. which I mean, if you don't know about it, I'm not going to recap the whole thing. Like, just go look it up. It's like maybe the only actually good creepypasta in my opinion. It's like the only one that's like well-written and interesting and weird. But also... There's a Morrowind one that I also enjoy. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, just just for the record. Yeah. It's like, don't like watch the sky or something. It's yeah. pretty creepy. Ben it's levitated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, th- the thing about, um, about the Ben Drown creepypasta, which uh, I-, I guess like a quick note some guy posted on a forum somewhere that he bought a used copy of Majora's Mask uh, and then the the file name was Ben and then there's another one that said your turn uh, and then they started playing it and it was like essentially this person was just like hacking and modding a version of Majora's Mask uh, to make it seem even creepier than it already was uh, and through that telling the story of this kid named Ben who drowned at some point um, and his ghost was like haunting the cartridge of Majora's Mask. It was like cool and well written but specifically the thing that was interesting was like for 2010 internet it was happening in real time and as people were talking about it on the internet the author was writing new things and like making new things happen in the game and uploading new videos Yeah, very similar like a marble hornets type thing where it was like being updated you know over the course of it happening yeah which i think i think was like really novel at the time so i don't i don't know if it's gonna really like hold its weight in uh, 2023 i do know it updated during the pandemic though which is wild it was it took like a 10 year hiatus or something i do think it's worth mentioning though just for i i think it's a testament to majora's mask for like on one hand the success of that creepypasta i think kept conversations about the game like relevant Mm -hmm. um but it also just was a testament to how unsettling the game is like a lot of the yeah. creepiest parts of that creepypasta are just like from the game <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just like here's the here's the statue of link you know and that's the thing that's haunting the person writing the creepypasta the whole time and like that is just the model that's in the video game and they literally yeah. just put it in different places and that's scary uh, yeah. which i think is really impressive but anyway that was really the i think the the thing that kicked off my desire to play this game like reading that experiencing that with others like me and a bunch of other kids in a college dorm room like reading the new editions of ben drowned as it got released and people found it around the net uh was like really exhilarating and really just kind of put fuel uh in 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 the flame for me in terms of wanting to play this game so all of that having been said i've now played it 
and I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's like it's like maybe one of the best, most interesting games ever made. I texted you like three days ago before I'd even finish it. I was like, I could stop playing now and I could talk about this game for five hours. Yeah. Like I, could, <laughs> I, I, I could talk about this game forever. I think it's so interesting. I will say playing playing it the way that we did in one month i think is maybe not the way to do it i'm actually kind of like with games like elden ring weirdly uh or even just going to japan like i did last month while doing it i was already excited about the next time i was going to do it you know like i'm already looking forward to the next time i play majora's mask and get to like pick away at more of it and play it uh, i think with a little bit less of a time crunch, uh, which is ironic, but I think specifically the thing for me was like to play everything and see what I wanted to see in the time that we had to play this for this episode. I needed to follow a guide a lot and I kind of wish I didn't follow a guide at all. And there's a lot of things I specifically like left out and didn't do because I want to just experience them and find them on my own next time without a guide. Um, Because I think a lot of this game and this harkens back to our episode about Ocarina of Time where I, I talked a lot about this idea and, and you talked a lot about this idea of like, it's 1998, you get of Time in your hands and you start playing it and say you don't have the Brady strategy guide in your hands also. A lot of that game is very obtuse and it's kind of hard to find your way around and it's a little bit difficult to kind of poke and prod your way to victory in Ocarina of Time. There are some things, even in the 3DS remake, that are still a little bit like outside the realm of possibility for kids to just like stumble upon unless they Ironically, are... it's like not the temples, but it's like the in-between stuff oh, yeah. that is more inscrutable. You know, it's like the exactly. get a chicken from this place and bring it to the sleeping guy, but not right away. Like it's like yeah. stuff like that where it's like... The first are... time I played the game, I could not find the sword for like two hours. I just <laughs> didn't know where the sword was. It drove me up a wall. But anyway, point being, like Ocarina of Time is a game made in an era where kids who are playing it have the time to really look and search around for anything and everything and try everything and eventually it'll work out and it almost seems like Majora's Mask doubles down on that in a lot of ways like it is a game that is almost pulling from a lot of DNA from like point and click adventure games I think in a lot of ways absolutely where it really is like get this mask and just talk to everybody while wearing this mask and see what happens Um, or you know go down four steps of this quest and then get this mask that you realize oh my god this is going to help me do something that i discovered five hours ago i didn't even realize this was going to be you know useful or interesting and i think that's really 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 interesting uh to specifically build a game with that in mind and there's a lot that we could say and probably will say about the the development of this game but i'm really excited to play it again i already think it's brilliant and again there's a lot that i'm going to say about it and i'm really excited to do that but yeah i mean it's up there i still i still think for me i mean like Twilight Princess is still the one for me and I think always will be just because it's the first first. one that I played and I think some of the ideas that that game is going after are really interesting but Majora's Mask is like I think on a playthrough of this again I think it might be up there as well it's so hard i'm not going to rank zelda games so hard to do that they're also like especially even just saying even just between ocarina twilight princess and majora they're all going after a very different experience yeah this you know i think twilight princess is closer to ocarina in structure uh just in terms of like what it's trying to sort of capture in in spirit and in the sort of mechanics of the game yeah but uh yeah there it's you know it, it also depends like i think i like them all for very different reasons and also like I find something going back to your thought of wanting to replay Majora's Mask. I think the beautiful thing about a lot of this era of Zelda games and this era of games in general is that they were all kind of built to be replayed. You know, games were short enough that like 
it was kind of assumed that you would play this again. Chrono Trigger has multiple endings and even some fake out endings to encourage you to give it another shot. I think, you know, the closer you get to the arcade era where everything is about trying your best Mm -hmm. and losing and then putting in more quarters, like I think games, even narrative ones like Majora's Mask were still structuring around this idea of like losing and trying again. Yeah. And I think Majora's Mask is like, doubling down on that idea yeah literally in its story of like well if games are meant to be replayed what does that mean for the world itself what if the world itself was being reset each time mm-hmm. you know there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways to read majora's mask and i think there's a one way that's a pretty clear like meta read just on video games in general totally of like yeah. you can save the day but what does that mean for the characters in the game and will they remember you doing that mm-hmm. and or does that even matter yeah is is the moment enough yeah. you know and this is i don't know if this is going to be a spoiler conversation or not but i i think a lot of that is also a direct reaction to ocarina of time both the reception to that video game in real life but also the story of ocarina of time like this being an actual for real canon sequel to ocarina of time informs so much of the narrative and like thematic kind of underpinning of what this game is trying to go after Uh, like you said there's like a billion and a half ways to read this game i mean it's there are some that are so out there as to be like just thrown directly in the garbage and then i think there (laughs) there are other ones that that like really resonate and like you know Maybe maybe you got to force a square peg into a round hole, but like some some of them really work. I, I think it's also again. I think the way this era of Zelda is written is like loose enough that that it invites multiple reads. Totally, you know, I yeah. don't I don't think there was like an intended one way to read it. Nor should there be with any art. But like there are there are clearly some emotions and thoughts going into this game that, like you said, are you can't separate. Even if you have never played Ocarina of Time, the success of that game is like directly in the DNA and sort of the panic yeah. of this game's soul. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of the uh, episodes we did about Pokemon Red and Blue and Pokemon Crystal and then uh, eventually just our conversations about Pokemon Emerald. But like the, the development of those games, Pokemon Red and Blue not knowing or the, the team at Game Freak not knowing that that was going to like blow up into being a worldwide phenomenon. And then Gold and Silver weirdly being created in this vacuum before red and blue all again blew up and became this giant phenomenon and then pokemon ruby sapphire and emerald or i guess ruby and sapphire specifically being developed in a time where they were wholly surely aware of how big of a deal pokemon was and like almost crumbling under that pressure in a lot of ways i think it's really fascinating that i, I don't know if we've said that explicitly on the, on this episode yet but i i think it's fascinating that after the release of ocarina of time they sat down to create an expansion pack for Ocarina of Time where they're going to change the dungeons around and like add some extra stuff. What I, I think eventually became the Master Quest version. But apparently the team got really like demotivated working on that because the game came out, was huge, was widely successful and was also already at the time that it came out being called like this is the greatest game ever made. This is this. Nobody's going to top this. Nobody could ever top this. And the idea of sitting down and being like, all right, let's fuck around with it a little bit. It's like, well, OK, you're going to fuck around with the thing that everybody is saying is perfect. Like, don't do that. And deciding to kind of restructure that strategy into saying We'll use all the same assets we already have and made for Ocarina of Time, and we're going to shift them around, you know, obviously make a couple new things here and there. But like, for the most part, we're going to try and make a Zelda game within one year and make that the sequel to Ocarina of Time. Like that is, as you said, everywhere. There are characters that just feel like developers crying out for help from inside the walls of Nintendo. But 
on on the flip side, like you also just have this this time crunch of the actual game design itself, and then as you said, there is this meta layer of like, is it a commentary on games as a whole? Like, I don't think there is another Zelda game that is this nuanced in its questions that it's asking about like a hundred different things. Like, it seems like everyone just got to put their own little bit of their psyche into this game. Yeah, it's it's like a group therapy session manifested into a Zelda sequel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There, there are a lot of really thematically rich Zelda games, but I, I don't think there's one that's like this dense. Yeah. Like I think this is, I, I don't think it's my favorite overall, but it's my favorite to talk about, which is why I've been so excited to do this episode. Yeah, It's like weirdly in some ways more fun to reflect on than to even play in some cases. I agree. Even while playing it, I was thinking to myself, I can't wait to talk about this. But then every time I sat down to play it, I'd be like, okay. You know, everyone, every <laughs> once in a while, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to sit down and do this temple. Sure. You know? Yeah. But like, that wasn't as exciting to me as the prospect of being able to talk about some of the other stuff, which just to, just to be clear, I guess like what this game is about, the, the moon is falling and you have three days to prevent the moon from falling and wiping out this place called Termina, which is not Hyrule very important um and specifically centered around this town in the middle called clock town which is a town that is famous in termina for having this big ass clock that of course is just counting down to your and everybody else's demise um so dark premise for a video game period really dark premise for a zelda game yeah whenever there's like a time loop game which have become weirdly popular in the last couple years Majora's Mask is like the blueprint of that for a lot of people. Yeah. Where like basically to prevent the world from ending, Link can play the Song of Time and go back to the first day. Um, so if you've ever, you ever seen like Dawn of the First Day, you know, that's from Majora's Mask. Yeah. In addition to that three-day structure, there's also like every NPC, like literally everyone has a set schedule for the three days. Yeah. So you mentioned point and click. I think that's really apt because like part of the game's mechanics are kind of learning what everyone is up to in different parts of the day and also like learning how to help them, how to have them help you. Like there are so many moving parts that like you could argue just Clocktown and just the people who live there is its own little like social dungeon. Yes. You know, like getting the couple's mask is a dungeon basically <laughs> yeah. just replace the verb of talk and sword and it's the same thing yeah in fact it's probably harder than some of the dungeons in the game so that's that's the overall premise and we'll talk it's hard to not begin talking about the premise and then immediately go way too deep so i'm glad we're breaking this up into three yeah. parts yeah um but i guess i'll share to go back to the beginning to play the song of time i'll share my history with zelda in this game i'm sure i've mentioned this on the show before but my first zelda was ocarina of time and that was like a life-changing game for me. I mean, I was like seven. So it's like, I doubt seven-year-old Steven was like, ah, yes, high art, you know. But like, there, everyone in their life at a certain age, I think once you're, you know, seven, eight, nine, that's kind of when you start to develop your own taste mm. as a person. I think before then, you just sort of like accept whatever's handed to you. <laughs> you have a Jar Jar poster, like you're not asking questions. Yeah. Tiny Toon Adventures for the Sega Genesis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're sick and you'll just play with whatever you have, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, Ocarina of Time was the fir- one of the first games, I think alongside Final Fantasy VII for me, that made me realize, like, oh, these, these things are not just toys. Like, this is, this is something else. You know, the, the potential games have 
is huge. I just kind of knew in that moment that like not only was this game special to me, but also that like games in general were special to me. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to be like, and in that moment I knew I was going to have a podcast. So I just like, <laughs> I just, I think people have that with like star Wars, you know, or like there's always that kind of big piece of media that sort of like opens your imagination. Mm. And Ocarina was that for me. And I think it was that for a lot of people because it's, it's one of the most beloved games of all time. And again, the stage set for for how on earth do we follow this with Majora? Yeah. But from my my point of view, as a happy child being fed video games, I remember playing Ocarina, and then like a year or two later, Majora's Mask was being advertised. The marketing was also explicitly darker. Like, yeah. The I remember reading Nintendo Power at the time, and them saying like, "We want this to be like a bit creepier and a bit more mysterious," and. Mm-hmm. You know, it has a very kind of Alice in Wonderland vibe to it. And uh, just I remember really loving the artwork, the way the characters looked and the design of Skull Kid specifically with Majora's Mask on was just like so evocative. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think I think he's one of the few like late 90s, early 2000s, like cool, edgy villains that has stood the <laughs> test of time, you know, which we'll talk more about Skull Kid later. But I think about like the bridge from Pokemon to Yu-Gi-Oh!, and I think that's like the soulless version of this. No shade on Yu-Gi-Oh. I know it's beloved, but like I remember reading an article about Yu-Gi-Oh and it was like, yeah, we want to make like a slightly edgier, darker Pokemon for like the 12 to 13 crowd. Mm-hmm. And at, even at that time, I'm like, this feels fishy. This feels <laughs> like a boardroom full of cigar smoke that was like, well, all those kids who just bought all the Pokemon merch are now like really into Dragon Ball Z and like corn so how do we how do we follow up right and then that's what Yu-Gi-Oh was yeah because there's there's almost this sense that like pokemon comes out the pokemon card game comes out and and the tv show is doing very well and then that crowd ages up and it's like we need to create something that will age alongside them and then that's where Yu-Gi-Oh comes from whereas majora's mask is almost like let's alienate everybody who loved this first one <laughs> yeah, yeah but i think it's telling that in ocarina of time you go from childhood to adulthood I think Majora's Mask is very comfortable being like, yeah, but what happened in between? What's like that really awful time to be alive? (laughs) You know, when you're like changing and developing and you're not quite a kid, you're not an adult yet. I think there's a lot about another read of Majora's Mask is just like puberty, honestly. You know, so much to say about this later. Yes. um, I mean, even if you're not explicitly saying that, like, they are playing so much with the idea of like Peter Pan, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like you have Tingle who has become, you know, a celebrity in his own right. And I'm very proud of him. But like <laughs> he is an adult who's pretending to be a child. Yeah. He's like the flip of the Kokiri who were the, you know, elven kids in the forest who never grew up. And Skull Kid and even Majora as an entity are like children in their behavior but children with tons of power Mm -hmm. which is like really scary because there's not like a ganondorf laughing on the organ which is you know my favorite moment in games but like (laughs) there isn't like i have a plan there's just like i'm i'm treating the world like a rock i'm looking under and squishing all the bugs right you know like so anyway i think i think even if we didn't have the language for it i think you know i was 10 when Majora's Mask came out I was about to begin that sort of transition into teenage years 
And I do think like a lot of my friends who love Majora and who like consider it not only their favorite Zelda, but their favorite game. I think I think this game does as, as edgy as it is and as creepy as it is. It is like comforting to someone who feels lost and who feels like yeah. scorned, you know, it's in some ways more about Skull Kid than Link, which I think we'll get to later on. Yeah. Um, but I think all, like. I can say that more directly now as an adult looking back on this work, but I do think children playing this game for the first time are picking up on those things. They just maybe can't say it yet or maybe don't notice it. But I think that was all present when we all play this for the first time. Yeah, I think um, there's that very, I I think, like boring way of making kids media where they will just like include winks and nods to the adults in the room, you know, that like eventually the kid will grow up and be like, oh, wow, I didn't even realize that there was that like dick joke in this Pixar movie, you know, (laughs) but I think, I think the actual best children's media is the stuff that doesn't shy away from talking about like really large, complex themes in ways that are understandable to people of all ages. Um, And I think Majora's Mask is one of those. I think Majora's Mask is a game that like very clearly has something very interesting to say about the ideas of childhood, but also like humanity and life and the ways in which you should live your life hypothetically um and shouldn't live your life and i think that those themes while in the text you know for the people who are really like you and i playing it for this episode are like reading through it and really taking it in and absorbing it like sponges so we can kind of think about it critically and analytically i think a lot of that is tonal and a lot of that is wordless and a lot of that is almost an an ephemeral theme that will get picked up by anybody regardless of their age as long as they're playing this game they will relate to something going on here because i think a lot of the themes that are discussed are universal because even if you are the most loved coolest kid in school uh you do backflips off the lockers or something and everybody cheers every time you do it uh you you will have a moment where you will feel lonely or like your friends don't like you or like you said something wrong or weird in a cafeteria or something and majora's mask will speak to you in that way um yeah i i think i think it, it's completely relatable regardless of who you are absolutely and yeah i mean that that was really well said and i think thinking back to when it came out and when i got it honestly the more surface level reason i was excited other than like this looks cool and i like zelda now was that how i played ocarina is i think how they make zelda games now like what i used to do with ocarina time was i would get up to the water temple and then put it off indefinitely (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've come around on the water temple and actually when we, when we did our episode, I think it's genius now. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. It's it's an incredible, incredible dungeon. Like water temple aside, I, I just didn't like the idea of beating it. I didn't want it to end. So I would just sort of get to a point where I felt like I had the abilities and the equipment that I wanted. And then I would just like run around or like ride a Pona around the world map and just talk to people. Like There aren't that many side quests to do in Ocarina of Time. Yeah. There's like the bigger on sword. You can fish, I think. Like that's there's like two or three. <laughs> but I just loved the world so much. I wanted to be there and just to just exist there. Yeah. And I think, well, Majora's Mask isn't necessarily an open world game because it is so dense with characters and interactions and like everyone has a story. You can actually play, and in some ways are encouraged to play Majora's Mask like I was playing Ocarina. Mm. Where, you know, I think like it is a setting that you can exist in and live in and then restart. Yeah. 
for fun. Yeah, I was almost doing that by accident. And I think, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that you you can kind of see in some ways the evolution of what we now would call open world games with the 3D Zeldas. Like Ocarina of Time, I think, kind of set in motion the scale that a Zelda narrative can have. Majora has like the sort of density and the sort of like side questiness and ensemble of weirdo NPCs that like... Yeah are really the beating heart of Zelda. And then Wind Waker, I think, really shows, like, what if this place was just fucking huge? Like, what if it actually did... You know, you something you said in our Ocarina episode that has stuck with me is that Hyrule Field feels like a cinematic kind of, like, portrayal of travel. You're actually not traveling that far, but it's all the music and all that can happen when you go from one place to another. It's just kind of giving you a beat of, like, here's, like, the beat of the journey that is maybe not important but is like giving you a chance to breathe and like reflect on what's happened right every time you're running through hyrule field my thought was this takes like maybe an entire day of of link's life whereas in wind waker like it might actually take like i mean they they did speed up the sailing in the wii u remaster but like it took a long time to find islands in that game a lot of that game was just the sea yeah and that is a complaint for a lot of people, but I, I think it really made that game feel so magical because like it felt for the first time in Zelda that I was in a big open world. Like it wasn't kind of I I think almost Majora's Mask, the layout of the world is almost purposely gamey. You know, everything is like mountain, forest, beach, yeah. you know, in cardinal like, directions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh but Wind Waker was like, oh, this uh, even though that game is very cartoony, it felt like a real world to get lost in. Um, and then I think Twilight Princess and, and Skyward Sword are, are kind of variations on that. And then, of course, we get to like the literal open worlds, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. And I think those games, even though you can beat them, I think the main draw and almost the way they're designed is to just like exist in them. You know, there's more fun to be had in those games, like really taking your time and doing everything rather than you know, diving to the conclusion. Yeah. In retrospect, I see so much Majora's Mask in Breath of the Wild now. Yeah. In, in ways right. that I never would have clocked before we had played this. So I think as a kid, I just was so excited at the idea of like being given more to interact with and to live with. And I also was so excited at the idea. I loved the Gorons and the, <laughs> so, I mean, I still do, but like I, the idea that you could play as a Goron mm. or as a Zora was like, that's so exciting. Like that, that was really, yeah. was that part of the marketing? Yeah. I mean, it, the, the main like gimmick was the transformations. Mm. Um, and I think that's accurate. Like it's actually kind of funny how Majora's Mask, like there's only four temples and the only items you get in them are different kinds of arrows, yeah. which is like, sounds kind of dry, but they're all kind of focused around, the Deku, Goron, and Zora transformations, which are in some ways their own item. Yeah, that's that's one of the big... Uh, I, I, I think if I was to point at criticisms from Ocarina of Time and from Majora's Mask, the big one for Ocarina of Time was the Hyrule field being empty thing, which I think you, you just brought up how I addressed that in that episode, which I think we agree on. And then in Majora's Mask, I yeah. was going and reading a lot of reviews of Majora's Mask from when it came out, and that was uh, one of the big complaints is that there aren't enough items. Like, it's actually... Oh, they kind of pared down the amount of items, and they pared down the amount of dungeons in this game um, in, in a big way as well. And, like, again, the, you just get the bow and arrow and then a bunch of different kinds of arrows later. And I was like, there's a mask, there's a mask screen here, and all the masks yeah. do different things. And some of them, you know, 
just to be clear, like some of the masks are literally just like you put it on and then you talk to somebody and then they give you something and like that's all you use the mask for. But for the most part, I mean, a lot of the masks have actual interesting uses. And then there are, as you said, the transformation masks that turn you into other kinds of beings which have entirely different move sets. They, they run around the world. They traverse the world completely differently. They change every interaction you have with every NPC. Like they, it's a huge amount of work to have made those. You're basically playing as different. They're different characters. Yes. Like actually, I mean, there's a fun foreshadowing of that where like there's a little terrier that's barking and hopping around in Clocktown, and depending on your form, that dog treats you differently. Yes. So when you're a Deku, it literally attacks you. Uh, when you're a Goron, I think it's scared of you, and when you're a Zora, it loves you. Uh, then when you're Link, it's neutral and. That's that's the other thing, which I think we'll get more into in spoilers. But like because there is such a focus on the transformations and you are, you know, not really a huge spoiler, but like you are embodying different characters. It's not just like, oh, it's Goron Link. Like, no, you are Darmani, the like Goron hero. And people refer to you as Darmani. And if you take off your mask, they're like, who are you? Yeah. Like, who is this kid? He's a rando. It makes Link's role in the game very interesting and almost feel kind of vacant in some ways, which I think we'll again explore more later. But yeah, I mean, I when I finally got to play this game, I loved it. I loved it so much. I made my own masks and brought them to school in fifth grade, to be clear. But still, I shared this in the discord, but I made my own masks and I also made up my own currency called Guts Bucks that I would sell. I would sell my masks for Guts Bucks. You were the happy mask salesman. I was the happy mask salesman. Yeah. Which feels like a very innocent version of NFTs by accident, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, no, those are fungible. Yeah. Those are some fungible tokens you created. Yeah, they're, they're, it was very fungible. Um, <laughs> Too fungible, some some have argued. I was very inspired by this game and, and pretty much just cemented me as a lifelong Zelda fan. So, like, anytime there was a new one, I got it and loved it. So, like, I, I think for some reason, like, on a personal level, like, Wind Waker was the one for me and, and still is in some ways. Like, Ocarina was this, like world shattering moment majora i absolutely loved but wind waker weirdly spoke to like steven the most mm. uh or myself i don't want to refer myself to third person i've been playing too much uh majora's <laughs> mask i am but a vessel but uh yeah i mean this game has always been like amongst my favorites it hasn't been like my singular favorite and that was kind of why i was excited to this episode because i'm like i i know so many people like if you ask most people like majora is on par the irony of following Ocarina, this like instant classic, you know, best game ever made, like day it comes out, is that now most people would say Majora is just as good, if not better. That is like, especially people around our age, I think, you know, it's like kind of one or the other yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think what kind of gets lost, though, what kind of sometimes I think because Majora is so unique and so surreal and, and such like a creatively ambitious game. I think it kind of lends people to talk about Ocarina as if Ocarina is like the safe one. And I'm like, you got to play, like you said earlier this episode, you got to play both because they're both very daring in different ways. Yeah. You know, I, in some ways I would say Ocarina is darker. Like to me, without spoiling what happens, I don't think there's anything. I don't think Zelda has ever gotten darker than Hyrule Market. I have so much to say about this that I can't say until we get into spoilers, but yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll say this. I would argue that Majora's Mask is literally a grappling with how dark Ocarina of Time is. Yeah. Maybe that maybe that's a good non-spoiler way of, of putting 
my thoughts. Yes. I think I think like overall Majora is creepier and more surreal. And I think it there's more direct. I think there's more direct in your face. Like yes. darkness in Majora's Mask. Like there are a lot of element. There are a lot of characters that you meet who are like the world is going to end and I'm terrified. Like that kind of almost like ennui, horrifying kind of thematic darkness. But there there's an undercurrent of something that's happening in Ocarina of Time. I think that just kind of like permeates through the entirety of that story. That feels like this is so unfair to Link. Yeah, it's a. I think I think that's what it is. I think Ocarina is much more tragic as a whole. Yeah. I think this story is ironically much more hopeful. It is. It is super hopeful. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. 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 I, I can't say anymore. I, I think we should. Maybe this is probably a sign for us to skip to the second day and talk spoilers. But anything else you want to say while we're in this spoiler free zone? Oh, man. Um, I don't think so. I, th- I think maybe maybe now is probably a good time to skip over the spoiler section. But I'll just say Majora's Mask is wonderful. I don't think we actually said this explicitly, but you and I played the 3DS version for this episode. You've already played the N64 version. And I... Uh, booted up the N64 version on my Switch and played through the first day uh, just to like see what it was like graphically. Um, if you were to ask me which one of those two you should play, I should say probably the N64 version because it's the one that it's that's most available to people. The 3DS version is like hard to get and expensive now um, because you know the eShop is down, et cetera, et cetera. I will say that it sure looks like based on YouTube videos that I've seen. You can play the 3DS version up res to 4K with incredible texture packs and uh, redone orchestrated music. Uh, yep. And <laughs> holy shit. That's probably the best of both. Like, I think that's if you can do that, do that yes. uh, is my answer. But I think like so what's what it's maybe worth noting is that the so for the Ocarina bonus, we also I mean, I had played the original many times, but I played through on my 3ds because we are also preparing for our 3ds patron episode at that time yeah the ocarina of time 3ds remake is pretty one-to-one there's like a couple additions and like some of the visual is slightly different but that is like about as close as they could have gotten the majora's mass remake is they take some liberties with it i would say it's like closer to like 85 percent the same yeah that, like the that's, bulk of the game is the same but yeah with ocarina of time i think it's pretty clear that you should play the 3ds version if you have access to it like yeah the, the quality of life stuff is great the ability to use the touchscreen to mess around with your inventory is great and like the map stuff like it's just it's great it's so good that is the way you should play that game if you can majora's mask i think it's a little bit more up in the air i th- i think probably the, the 3ds version if you can play it is the one to play i think again the quality of life stuff is like really not to be ignored i do know and i just want to shout it out before people comment at us about it but i do know that there is like a really famous rom hack for the n64 version that adds some of the stuff that was in the the 3ds version so hey look that up if you think that that's interesting to you um but you and i played the 3ds version and i will say having only played the 3ds version all the way to the end uh i sure did get everything out of it that i always wanted to so i really think you can't go wrong is the answer you can't go wrong i think the the big things the 3ds version adds that i think are worth any possible trade-off the bomber's notebook makes sense like it actually works the other thing is that you can, when you fast forward time, you can choose when in the day you go to. It's huge. You can't do that in the original. Uh, and also there are significantly less save points in the original. So like those three things alone, even, even if there were things like, I think the, the things people comment on, some of the bosses have been redesigned and overall, because 
I think they take more liberties with some of the visual style of the game. I think it looks beautiful, especially when you're inside, like the lighting and stuff. Romani Ranch, yeah, is like stunning on the 3DS. Yeah, um, the way the way they're able to illustrate scale also, yeah. on the 3DS, despite it being a handheld and smaller screen, is pretty remarkable. And you know, I mean, it you can turn the 3D on, and then some of that stuff looks even more incredible. But just like the size and scope of things in this game, I think was probably pretty wild on the N64, but uh, on the 3DS, it's just like stunning i totally agree like i think it looks great on the 3ds the only thing i'll say is like i do while i don't necessarily prefer one over the other i do think we're at a time where the n64 is like there's something about ps1 and n64 graphics that are vaguely haunted so if you want it to just overall feel a little scarier the n64 version is probably the one to do it's true Um, yeah totally um i i think that lends a lot to the reputation that game has yeah (laughs) but that's not gonna like that is such a nitpicky thing i would say like if you're just playing it for the first time having more save points will be more meaningful than the fog is less green in this scene yeah and just just to say this and put it out into the aether because sometimes we say things and they come true if this is your first episode it happens a lot weirdly um i really 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 would love if Nintendo put the 3DS versions of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask on the Switch somehow or, or the Switch 2 or whatever, like so many times while playing this on the 3DS, I was thinking to myself, which is weird because I didn't think this while playing the Ocarina of Time port to the 3DS, but the Majora's Mask port in particular, there were so many times while I was playing it that I was like, I really wish I could play this on the TV looking like this, yeah, like specifically, yeah. I want it to look like this. I want these quality of life features and I want to be playing this on the TV and I can't. So like, j- hey, please please also you'll teach everyone that the water temple was actually great because the 3ds yeah those are the only big changes in the ocarina uh remake were with the water temple one you could uh unequip your boots just by equipping them to an item slot rather than pausing and doing it over again but they also mark the room where you change the levels of water i was daydreaming of the water temple during some of these temples i'll say that i think the reputation should be flipped on which water temple is worse but uh yep more on that soon <laughs> uh-huh. okay why don't we skip to day two and get into some spoilers all right if you're leaving us now thank you so much for listening please play majora's mask if you can i think it's a wonderful experience yeah all right well uh we'll see you on day two bye bye Forty-eight hours remain. Oh yeah, and we're talking spoilers for the Legend of Zelda: Majora's Mask for the Nintendo sixty-four. But make sure you have the expansion pack plugged into your control. Um, <laughs> you just remind, I just you just like pie in the face of a memory just happened where <laughs> one of the first N sixty-four games that required that expansion pack was Donkey Kong sixty-four. Yeah, uh, and it would check for and then go okay. Like when it, like, <laughs> I just remember like waiting eagerly for the okay before. I love know, that playing that game. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm hoping someone out there has had maybe if that wasn't a dream, just like verify that that's what that game did. That um, was, that was your Termina. Was that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was my. That game was kind of like Termina in some ways. Yeah, man. There are so many different angles we can come at when talking about this game. Yeah. So I guess maybe to help frame it, like. We were talking off the show about how for the Ocarina episode, we did kind of talk through it in a linear fashion. Like we used, we don't always do that for bonuses, but with Ocarina, it felt like let's talk about like 
the childhood section yeah. than the adult section. For this game, I think it probably would be like more helpful just to kind of talk about it loosely and sort of like bird's eye view of it because so. it is so cyclical. I guess we can talk through sort of like how it opens to sort of frame because it, it does feel like it's like there's the opening, then there's the rest of the game, then there's the finale. You yes. know, it it does feel so much like a whirlwind of events. Yeah. Rather than like, I think Ocarina of Time is inherently linear because of the story they're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. And this game is cyclical. So, but yeah, so I, I guess I'll, I'll share sort of how it opens just sure. to kind of do that. So, yeah, um, essentially the game opens with Link lost in the woods and there's a narration that says he's looking for a dear friend and it's never stated who but i assume it's it's navi yeah so most people assume they're referencing i guess you can maybe say zelda but i feel like there's a pretty firm goodbye at the end of ocarina it'd be weird if he was looking for zelda in the woods yeah <laughs> i i think actually just one quick step back sure we're also going to spoil ocarina of time in here yeah i, th I that's think true you, you have to you have to to be able yeah. to talk about what's going on with this game but i i think that navi is definitely 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 who link is looking for in this case yeah I, he he leaves hyrule behind specifically um and i think in doing so is also leaving zelda behind i think it's also for me like i, I remember when i first played the game i i kind of read this moment very literally where i was like why is like i like navi but like why does navi mean that much to link kind of thing but I'm like, in this case, I think Navi just represents like that whole experience, you know, that to the to the developers Ocarina of Time and to this link, like his life before now. Because, yeah, I think one thing that's definitely worth saying about Ocarina of Time is that that game ends with adult Link being turned back into a kid and basically being told, like, now you can live your life. Yeah, that's how this game begins It's like basically link looking for a life to live but but actually not moving on to a new life but trying to maybe reconnect to an old one mm -hmm. by searching for navi my my question i, I just have, I have a question about ocarina of time that i just need to remember is navi also comes back right comes back in time with link and then leaves <sighs> that's a good question I that's how that game so. ends right because my 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 reading of this of why he would be looking for navi in the first place and maybe my recollection is wrong here, but my recollection was that when Link is sent back in time and, and is a kid again, Navi comes back with him. And then Navi is like, you know, I've done everything I need to do here. We can part ways and then, you know, leaves. I think you're right, because then we we were like, OK, is he going to die there? Because the whole thing is, if you don't have a like if you don't have a fairy, you become. Yes. Uh, skull kid or, or skull uh, Stalfos. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, ev yeah. Everybody Stalfos, baby. Uh, <laughs> but. My thought about why he would be looking for Navi is like Link has gone through something that is deeply, deeply, deeply traumatic in the events of Ocarina of Time. Like what, what happens in Ocarina of Time is is horrible for the mind of a child to have yeah. to experience and being turned back into a child and having all of the events of the game essentially undone means there's nobody in the world of Hyrule for him to relate to anymore. There's nobody that he can really connect with. And the only person or being in all of Hyrule or all of the world who has any semblance of any understanding of what they've gone through together is Navi. And my thought is that he's trying to find Navi as a way to like, just have somebody to commiserate with about what's happening and like work through what's going on. Yeah. Like an anchor. And it's also like so much of Majora is purposely a mirror of Ocarina. Mm -hmm. I will say like, I don't know if it's in our questions, but I did see someone ask like, do you need to play Ocarina before Majora's Mask? I don't think you need to, but I think you really should. I think you will enjoy Majora's Mask on its own, but I think you'll get a lot more out of it 
even just this beginning, you know, like, yeah, it works as a beginning of like boy lost in the woods, you know, falls in the rabbit hole kind of thing. But like, it is so much sadder <laughs> if you know what happened before. Yeah. And I think more resonant as well. Yeah. I, I think if you don't play Ocarina of Time before you play this, you're going to be missing out on a huge chunk of the story. I think I think I think a lot in my eyes, at least having played Ocarina of Time and knowing that this is, again, one of the only direct sequels that we get in the entire franchise it seems to me pretty damn important to understand the the thoughts and feelings of Link coming out of Ocarina of Time and going into this. But yeah, the opening of Ocarina is actually like one of the first scenes is a first person perspective of Navi flying to Link. Mm-hmm. So we already kind of have a flip of like, you know, there's the boy without a fairy and the fairy finds him and is looking for him. And now we have the opposite. Yeah. But essentially the inciting event is Link is lost in the woods, gets attacked um, by uh, Skull Kid, who steals the ocarina, right? Mm -hmm. And Epona. And Epona. So Skull Kid is wearing Majora's Mask, is accompanied by two fairies, Tattle and Tail, coincidence. Um, (laughs) And uh, then basically through a series of events, Link goes, chases after Skull Kid and is transformed into a Deku shrub. Um, in his attempt to like reclaim Epona and and the ocarina, so like also sort of a weird twist of like meeting the Deku tree, you know, like yeah. becoming a, a a scrub. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth mentioning he falls into a deep deep hole, and while he's doing that, you see all of this iconography, like this yeah. like, colorful glowing iconography that kind of represents, at least to me in retrospect now a lot of the stuff that you'll end up seeing throughout the course of the game. Like it's almost like he's falling into Termina in a way. It's like um, the over the garden wall beginning where you get like these quick shots of things that like you don't have context for yet. But then if you watch it again, it's like all foreshadowing or just to state the obvious very clearly it's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. (laughs) Which I do think, I mean, it, it raises questions that I think we should talk about later. That's like, is Termina a real place at all? You know, yeah. like that, that's a question that I think a lot of people ask. Um, and I, I don't think has a definitive answer, but I, I'd at least like to talk about that later. Yeah. Yeah. But I, just to kind of speed it along a bit, like essentially you get turned into this Deku scrub and you're kind of powerless. I personally, the irony is like, I love being Deku Link. Yeah. I mean, Deku Link like looks cool, is cool, is really powerful. It's fun to play as. I'm like, this is great. I'm like, good. The yeah. world can end. For me, um, for me, I, I thought and maybe this was your experience the first time you played, if you can remember then, but I was like, this sucks. I want to be Link. Cause the first time you take control of Link in this game, he's got like, he's like doing backflips all over the place. He's like powerful. He's got a sword. He's got a shield. Like, I'm like, Oh man, it's almost the super Metroid thing. Yeah. You know, or it's like, the night. I was thinking the same thing Yeah, where they, they kind of steal all your powers and then, and then turn you into Deku Link. And I was like, this kind of sucks. And you then can oh. shoot bubbles. And it was like the point when you could turn back into child length that I was like, Oh wait, I miss being a Deku scrub <laughs> and then put the yeah. mask back on. Anyway. The, so all the transformations got like a unique power and Deku links are, he can shoot bubbles out of his mouth, which is like truly the, the store brand boomerang or arrow, yeah. you know, it's yeah. not great, but the best power Deku link gets is you can like, if there are flowers, you can dive into them and then you jump out and have two flowers. It's like a parachute. It really is the original Breath of the Wild hand glider, yeah. <laughs> but Deku Link did it first. Um, I just love, like, I think this game is very interested in 3D. I think that's like the, you know, Ocarina of Time did so much to orient Zelda in 3D and mm. like kind of teach, like, we talk a lot about how the Deku tree is like 
not only a tutorial of 3D Zelda, but like a tutorial of 3D games. Right. Because it might be a lot of people's first ever experience in a, a 3D space in a video game. Yeah. And I think with that all established, even these few years later, I think like the vocabulary of 3D grew so exponentially that like I remember the first time like I played the Goron boss fight. I was like, what is like this is so sick, <laughs> like rolling at full speed and like charging. Like, so all the powers have a lot of like different kinds of momentum. And I actually think that flying as Deku Link is one of the easiest and most fun to do. Mm-hmm. I think I think swimming and rolling are both a little finicky. I think flying is like pretty solid. Yeah. Personally, at least on the 3DS. But um, yeah, so essentially like once you're Deku Link, it really does kind of just make you powerless. Like I think it is again, like the beginning of Ocarina, you're walking around the Kokiri forest and, you know, kind of showing everyone that you're ready for the adventure by getting a sword and shield. And it's kind of similar here, but like no one likes you because you're a Deku <laughs> scrub and you try to join like a Hardy Boys organization and they're like, no scrubs, baby. Um, yeah. And uh, it, what really what it is, is it's a nice little tutorial of how Clock Town works and how like the Bomber's Notebook works and how the three day schedule works. Essentially, it takes you a full three days to like, you know, meet enough townspeople that help you out that you eventually do like remove your mask yeah or it takes even more than three days because the first time you learn to play the song of like essentially you get to the end of the third day and you confront skull kid and the moon is about to crash into clock town and by extension the earth and destroy everything and all you can do is play the song of time yeah kind of reverberates how lost link is that like in this moment of crisis all he can do is remember what happened before mm, yeah um yeah i think, I think that's, that's hugely important i i also just want to point out like i don't know if this is true and i'm actually curious maybe when we're done recording this i'll just like go try it and see what happens but i'm curious what would happen if you just like never got the ability to blow bubbles as the deku because like when you when you get to clock town a lot of the npcs around town kind of lead you in the direction of the kids who are hiding all over the place and just like causing mischief the bombers as it were and they will start giving you clues as to where to find lost fairies. And then you have to take a lost fairy and bring it to the great fairy. And the great fairy gives you the magic meter, which allows you to then shoot bubbles out of your face. Uh, but I wonder, if, like, could you just lose the game in the first three days? If you, yeah, never it'll be that? game over. Really? Yeah. The, the moon crashes into the earth and a pretty like graphic scene. You get a game over. Yeah. That's the other thing I wanted to bring up is that I, what's really fascinating about the game too, is that it never really actually draws attention to the moon crashing into, into Termina and into clock town uh, until, you know, unless you go into that last scene, you just kind of have to find it in the same way as uh, I think it's cool that you called out the, the Deku tree and Ocarina of time. The boss in the Deku tree is the one where you have to like, have an understanding of 3d control and the first person view and you have to look up at the ceiling for it to drop down and then you start that fight similarly if you don't spend any time jumping into first person and you never really look up like you could totally miss that the moon is falling (laughs) for the first like day at least because it's just far enough away i think to like not be that you know looming in the sky but you know it's, it's when you have the moment when you're like in the astral observatory and stuff that you you know they draw your attention to it fully but you could get through like maybe the first entire day of the game before you even realize that the moon is about to crash into the planet i just think this like essentially you know how it plays out is you play the song of time 
it brings you back to the dawn of the first day and your fairy uh tail is a tattle 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 yeah. yeah um tattle is like it's just like it was before like everyone is like back doing the same things you lose all your consumable items you hang on to like your equipment and stuff but it is I you watch like, all the rupees fly out of you which yeah. i was so mad the first time i watched that happen i was like oh my god i worked so hard in my first three days to get a bunch of rupees because i thought it'd be important and then i lost them all i always wondered i was like is it satire that the only person who remembers you is the bank like you know every time you reset time everyone forgets you but the bank is like oh yeah you you owe interest yeah. or you know like you get this <laughs> another big 3ds change they put the bank right by the save point yeah it's great. Uh, they used to be like in the west part of town yeah which like isn't a deal breaker but it just adds a lot of to and fro because you do like eventually you will learn the hard way to like okay i've done what i can do in these three days deposit all my rubies reset time i yeah. kind of wish there was like a lockbox or something for like one item i think one of the things about ocarina is like rubies don't really mean too much like there's a whole side quest of the skulltullas to like restore the cursed family and what you get from it is like a bigger wallet but you don't ever really need to buy anything but with majora's mask like, i never really bought stuff but i did just like not like losing rubies and i do think because you lose arrows and bombs and stuff you are kind of incentivized to go buy that stuff although termina field is like a free gold mine of things you can just sort of like yeah and i find that like Within the first, I don't know, four or five hours of playing the game, I immediately was like, I know where all of the hundred rupees are hidden around Clock Town. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> you just you just kind of figure that out and then you just kind of build that uh that that like path in your head, you know, to just go find that stuff every time you reset yeah. time. I, I just did, want I to shout out though, um when you learn the the song of time again or relearn the song of time when you get the when you get the the ocarina back, that's the only appearance of Zelda in the whole game. Yeah. Is, is is the moment where you remember her teaching it to you in Ocarina of Time, which I think yeah, is there's interesting. One memory of Zelda and no mention of Ganondorf yeah. at all. Yeah. Except that the moon's face looks eerily like his. Yeah, there you there are a lot of doppelgangers and kind of stand-ins, which I think is why some people interpret this game as like being in Link's head. Yeah. You know, sort of like memories of Ocarina. Yeah. So like that opening, I just think is so like there's so much ahead of you that is so rich and great to experience, but that opening does kind of teach you everything about the game and also kind of gives you the mission statement of the game itself. Yeah. I think it's like one of the strong, it's also the, maybe the first Zelda game to use fetch quests for narrative. Cause almost always they're kind of just fluff. Like mm. I enjoy giving a chain shop a walk in Link's awakening, mm -hmm. but like that kind of stuff can be a little annoying. We just want to get to the next temple or dungeon. Yeah. Whereas I think in Majora's Mask, like they actually use those moments for storytelling opportunities because they have the convenient framing device of everyone is kind of going through the same thing, you know, in different ways. But everyone is processing the world ending in different ways. Yeah. Um, so like it does kind of unify all the possible conversations you can have. And is like, you know, there are people who are pretending it's not happening or like acting like it's not that big of a deal but it's present in every conversation yeah you know whether they say it or not yeah. and that only kind of grows over the course of the three days but I, I just like whenever i replay this game I, I weirdly look forward to this like kind of more scripted linear beginning mm. uh because i just think it's it's so good at teaching you the language of the game it's interesting i mean i i totally agree with you again in, in retrospect now but i was like I can't believe how loose this opening is like for me, not really knowing 
the loop outside of the fact that it is a literal time loop, like knowing that there's the three day structure, I, I felt so out of my depth and was just like really clinging to any and all hints or advice that was being given to me by any of the NPCs I talked to. Like I was so desperate for any sense of direction at first, because when I think of this era of games, I think about obtuseness and, and just like opaqueness when it comes to understanding what to do again, because of that, like, Hey, you're a kid and you have all the time in the world to, you know, pick and poke at the edges of this thing. But also because a lot of, quests and a lot of the quest design in games like this of the era are very linear and are very you know kind of static like there is a specific way you're supposed to do everything and that's not not true in Majora's Mask but I was surprised at how open they were letting the game be almost from go you know as soon as you get into Clocktown for the first time I was I kind of picked up the whiff that I should go find a fairy and bring it to the great fairy but outside of that I was like there are so many people walking around this town. I know that they're all on three-day cycles. I could just spend the next 40 hours of my life sitting here and watching all of them go through each three-day cycle over and over again, but I have no way of starting time over, so I need to figure something out ASAP. <laughs> you know, like just... But that's the game almost telling you, like, you might want to do that. Like, yeah. The game is kind of advising, like, this is how like everyone is tied to these schedules. It's so funny because I feel like this game was 10 years ahead of this becoming like a buzz, like in Fable 2 and Oblivion, where everyone was like, oh, like every NPC has a schedule, but, you know, in Oblivion, yes. it's like they talk about mud crabs, and then walk into a wall. I was going to you know, say, I think I think one of the things about this game, when I when I think about the, the NPC structure and the ways in which they were able to give them all three day cycle is like when I think about the reality of spaces in places like Oblivion or Skyrim or other open worlds that have tried to do similar things where they give the NPCs like pathing and, and routines and stuff like all the NPCs in Oblivion famously there's there's the seven day structure you know there's uh they, they have seven days in in tamriel and all of those NPCs. you don't want to say turtis do you no, I, I can I see you resisting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of the npcs hypothetically have walk cycles that they go through but it, that really is all it is it's just walk cycles and outside of that you talk to them and it'll just like pick voiceover lines from random voiceover actors to just apply to a lot of them except for like some of the named npcs and that stuff ends up feeling a little bit flat i think at the time when oblivion came out obviously you know i love that game dearly but like even then while playing it i was like this is funny you know yeah it became, it became inadvertently funny and that adds to that charm of that game yes but i think like i'm thinking about kremia um the elder sister in the ranch romani ranch in majora's mask mm -hmm. her three-day schedule is like help out at the ranch eat dinner alone and like wonder if her friend's wedding is going to happen yeah those and it's like you get a little story just in those yes three beats like you get more from those two girls on the ranch than like most of Cyrodiil. yeah this is this is kind of what i mean is like the the magic trick that this game is able to pull way before a lot of other games tried to do a similar thing probably inspired by this game of course yeah is in doing so, they're able to endear you to each individual person in Clocktown in like a really tangible way. And I think this is this is one of my big thesis statements about this game. I I think the like Zelda of it all is the least interesting part of this game. Like I think going and doing dungeons and like saving the world, quote unquote, is the least interesting stuff about Majora's Mask. I completely agree. I almost wish it was just Clocktown. Me too. Like, I I I, yeah. I could wholly do away with all four of the dungeons and be like totally fine with that. I really like some of them, but I, it does weirdly feel like a placeholder. Yeah. And e like, even like 
it feels when like you, a way to avoid getting bad scores in in, review, <laughs> in some ways like when you get all the four areas like when you go to the deku palace there's like a great setup of the deku princess is missing there's a again another flip of like avoiding the palace guards and you learn the sonata of awakening yeah supposed to zelda's lullaby we get it <laughs> everything's upside down um but I think like all four areas, like each of them have like a little village with like a little story that happens. And then someone there goes, by the way, you have to go to a temple. Yeah. <laughs> like I kind of wish I just helped the monkey find the princess. Yeah. Honestly, Woodfall Temple is one of my favorites in the game. I think it's awesome. But well, because you like being Deku Link. I like being Deku Link. <laughs> uh, and I, I also am a big Forest Temple fan. So it kind of scratches that itch. Yeah, true. A similar thing with with the Great Bay area, like meeting zora link which i think you know maybe we can talk about all the the like characters of the transformations but like meeting zora link and then meeting his band and lulu like that stuff was awesome i'm sorry i hate great bay temple so much it is i think my least favorite temple in zelda i also i just like think it, yeah i think it's everything people think the water temple is times 100 in a negative way <laughs> like i i get that it too is cyclical and i like the idea of playing with currents instead of levels but I don't think like even playing the 3DS remake, like the camera really destroys that concept. I think. Yeah. There's, and there's also just too many, like, I think I could, I would enjoy that temple more if there weren't infinite bonefish in every area, because like the water temple in Ocarina was smart. And that, like that central room where you kind of control the levels, there aren't that many enemies. There's like a couple spiders jumping around. Yeah. They, they understand that, the puzzle is the is the centerpiece of that dungeon and not common. Yes. I don't know why like the Great Bay Temple is full of like hands and like crabs. And I'm just like, you're already throwing like currents at me. Like I have to think like in four dimensions and like it's just too much. Like I just did not enjoy my time. That's like the one time I dreaded playing this game. Um, also, I, I mean, you, you have to do the egg thing before that. And I which is enough. And I assumed yeah. that that was the dungeon. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was surprised to find that there was another dungeon after that to be fair i think like the gerudo fortress in ocarina is like easily the worst part of that game it is better i think that the using water as a stealth element i think was really smart and like also using that as the place where you get the hook shot i think was fun and like i like the gerudo battles too so like yeah that part was a joy but yeah the the temple itself i agree i think stone tower temple i think is like iconic i mean i think it's it is a lot i think that that temple alone is probably like why wind waker is as easy as it is um just because it's like <laughs> you have to think on a different you have to be like an engineer an architect and a psychic all at once <laughs> for that temple um, but i do think there's something climactic about it because yeah. you're using the song to create statues of you and your like you have to use all, all most of the temples are about one of the transformations and in that temple, you have to use all of them. So I do think it like works on that front. But yeah, I, I that was like my main takeaway too, was just like, and it's weird because I think people like generally praise the dungeon design in this game. And like, I think it is very well done. I mean, Stonehead Temple, I think is another good crack at the water temple philosophy of like mm. manipulating a space. Yeah. Like, I, I like there's something about punching the central column is very cathartic. Yeah, for real. And that boss fight is easily my favorite. I love Goat so much. It's the best. <laughs> but uh, I, I, think, I think 
the in-betweens are where this game shines yeah you know the side quests and the and the moments of npc interaction is really the heart of this game yeah i i I don't know how into it i want to get maybe why not well we can get into it now while we're talking about it but I, i just i feel like the central thing about this game that really connected with me immediately uh, excuse me for getting so deep into it so immediately but when i when i think about this game as a sequel to ocarina of time i think about all the things that link went through in ocarina of time and how horrifying that was and one of the things that you and i talked about in that episode that really stuck with me was the idea that before you do the beneath the well dungeon in ocarina of time which is like the most horrifying most terrible thing that happens in that game it's like the only moment of like real actual abject horror in ocarina of time you need to turn back into young link to be able to accomplish that and get in there and go through that. And you need to beat that as young link. You can't do it as an adult link. And in our conversation about it, one of the things that we talked about was this idea that like he's young link. He eventually gets turned into an adult. As you said, like most kids who are playing are like sick. I get to be a grown up now. Like, isn't this rad? Yeah. But when you turn back into young link, that darkness doesn't go away. All of the horrible things that you see when you're an adult are still there when you go back in time and become young link again. You you still have to you still have to acknowledge that you've seen those things and that that is that it's like trauma that link is carrying with him going from adult link back to young link to end that game in a way where you are adult link. And then again, after everything that you've just experienced, get turned back into young link one more time. And not only that, but everyone in Hyrule has forgotten everything that you've done to say that they have no idea that there was even a threat in the first place creates this huge, huge, huge disconnect between link and everybody else in Hyrule and between Link and, and Zelda. And as I mentioned earlier, like Navi is maybe the only lifeline he has to any semblance of an understanding of what he's gone through as a person. And it is really wild to me that they made the decision to have his next step be, I'm, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to leave Hyrule behind and go elsewhere. It reminds me so much of what people hate about The Last Jedi with Luke Skywalker, where like he's <laughs> sure, gone through yeah. so much horrible shit and is like, maybe the best thing to have happen is for the Jedi to die. And he kind of like sequesters himself away elsewhere. For me personally, I'm not going to get into a Last Jedi debate, but that really works for me. Like that makes sense yeah. to me that like a pragmatic, smart dude like Luke Skywalker would walk away from that knowing that his existence also means the Sith must exist. And to say like, if I die off and I'm the last Jedi, that means that there won't be any Sith. And then maybe the universe will be better. Link in a weirdly similar way is like everything I've gone through is so fucking terrible and tragic. And like Hyrule is just a place that is steeping in memory of this horrible thing that I had to go through that I I have to go anywhere else to try and get away from that. And then leaves and goes you know, out into the woods, runs into Skull Kid and then gets turned into a Deku scrub and ends up in a place called Termina, which is like the most almost on the nose name you could pick for a place that he would end up in. But when I think about this game, when I think about what this game is trying to accomplish, it's trying in my eyes, at least to find a path for Link to like find happiness by the end of it, which is, I think, why for both you and I, we both resonate with this idea that like, yes, the game is definitely kind of like full frontal horror stuff, like really kind of twisted and weird. And is it is showing, at least on its face, a lot of the like scariest aspects of video games in a lot of ways, at least of the time. But at the end of the day, and we'll talk more about how the, how the game ends, but like at the end of the day is like a more hopeful story because it's more about Link, I think, coming out on the other end like a better person and feeling okay about himself and like finding a path to, I think some semblance of happiness in some ways. And I think that's where kind of skull kid comes in. And like, I think of skull kid as, as a kind of like reflection of link in a lot of ways, Oh yeah. like skull kid, uh, 
you learn almost immediately after the after the point that we were just talking about in the story you learn from tattle that tattle and tail were hanging out with skull kid after he got what he feels to be rejected from his friends and is like kind of wandering around in the woods and just it's also eerily similar like there's this shot of of skull kid like cowering and shivering yeah and it's exactly like link in his bed in the beginning of ocarina yes yes. like it's these two you know two lost souls yeah um and also if if you're to i mean to go literal with the narrative if you're to take the on face value the idea that this is the same skull kid which i think has been confirmed i think the three confirmed characters that are in termina that were in hyrule are the happy mass salesman link and skull kid yeah if you're to take that at face value, like it really is like, okay, here's another kid who has wandered away from his home, has no connection to where he grew up or what he knows is true. He's the only, he's the only skull kid as far as we know, you know, and finds Majora's mask. But I, I see him more as a reflection of Link as, as this like possible path for Link to go down, you know, this path yeah. of like, I've, I've been thrust into unfair circumstances. I, I have been, been i've been given the weight of so much expectation i need to be a hero i need to be all of these things to other people and skull kid's response to that is anger because i i think i think that's like almost righteous in some ways it's almost a righteous anger like nobody that age should have to go through so much and have to be rejected in that way and majora's mask affixing itself to his face in a lot of ways you know just kind of amplifies that it's almost like the one ring in that way as you mentioned like it almost yeah it corrupts him yeah Yeah. it corrupts him and kind of brings out the worst parts of him but i i think that that to me is the real like crux of this game is like skull kid as this possible future for link and when you think about what you do as link in this game i think so much about again like not the dungeons and not the saving the world from the moon crashing into things but is more the fact that everyone that link talks to in Termina and in Clocktown, they are also horrified by the weight of what is happening to them, right? The moon is going to crash down. The world is going to end in hypothetically three days. And his response to that is to help them, is to make them okay with it. Is like, you know, I, I, I don't... I don't fully buy into this game as a representation of the five stages of grief thing, but I do think that a lot of the characters in Termina are going through stages of grief and Link helps them get to acceptance. I think, I think Link helps a lot of them accept where they're at with their lives or helps them find some way through the last thing that is hurting them. And when you meet a lot of the like ghostly characters, a lot of that is also about like putting their spirits to rest, right? Yeah, I think, I think the game is really even more more than death it's about moving on and mm-hmm. about letting go and i think death is one of those themes yeah totally it, in a weird way the bigger threat is not the moon but it's the purgatory yeah it's the fact that they actually are incapable of moving on yeah um and i think the 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 biggest release is not the moon going away but the dawn of the new day at the end mm-hmm. i think you're really right to to kind of have skull kid as the mirror to link because i think like in ocarina there's so much there are so many scenes where people are talking to Link and imbuing, like they're sharing how they feel about him. Mm-hmm. They're projecting a lot of different roles onto him. You know, like we talked about how, like, especially when you're an adult and it's like you have uh, Darunia as this like platonic brother. Mm. And then there's like other characters that represent like sexuality in different ways. And, you know, yeah. like everyone kind of talks like when you're a kid, they talk about like, your potential and what you, you know, like what you're capable of doing. And then like, as an adult, it's a lot of saying goodbye because a lot of the characters you meet throughout that game 
are like implied to have died. Yeah. You know, whereas Majora doesn't even imply it. Like you, you bury the Zora. Um, so many moments of this game when Skull Kid, especially when Skull Kid is unmasked, like as Majora, they're like full Tetsuo villain, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but when they're not, I mean, he's a very sympathetic, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, sympathetic in some ways, he's a very tragic villain, Yeah, you know? And I think you're meant to pity him at least, if not, sympathize with him a little bit but there are so many moments where i'm like this feels like link is talking like yes there's a there's a line at the end that feels like it's link even more than skull kid where it's it's right after the giants have come and pushed the moon you know away to prevent the world's destruction and they all kind of look at skull kid and he's like you remember me like you still want to be my friend it yeah. makes me cry it's it's such a there's so many ways to to view that line one is like in the text of the game, Skull Kid is like set up to be this like kind of misguided prankster. He gets into trouble, but he's like a good kid. Yeah. Then gets this like absurd amount of power and it corrupts him. I'm also like, I think that character archetype is very interesting to me. I mentioned Tetsuo from Akira, who without spoiling Akira as well, <laughs> uh, I consider Akira one, just one of the best like works that exists artistically, but also like, to me, that is like the anti-superhero story where mm. it's like a very like a a misguided and unloved kid is given superpowers. And I think the flip of it is like a Peter Parker where it's like, here's this kind of nerd that gets bullied, but he gets these powers and and he's advised to use them for good. With great power comes great responsibility. But it's like the reality is like if you take a a lost kid with no encouragement, no guidance no love and yeah. they just get that amount of power it's a nightmare it's scary <laughs> they're yeah. gonna use it in bad ways you know um and akira goes in its own direction weirdly does relate to the moon at one point uh coincidence <laughs> um but skull kid i think is just such a it, there's a reason why people still talk about him and majora as like some of the best villains in games like i love ganondorf but i think this game is proof that we don't need to have it be ganondorf each time you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think in a lot of ways, this game challenges what a Legend of Zelda game can be more than any other one in my eyes. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, it always drives me up a wall whenever people talk about what Zelda should or should not be, because I always just want the creative team behind these games to just like make the thing that they want to make. You know, I absolutely I, I want I want Zelda to evolve. And when it it's when it's allowed to evolve, when it's asked to evolve, you get things like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. Right. Which are like so huge in terms of their shift away from what we know of Zelda and still retain that thing that we like know and love. But Majora's Mask is breaking the formula in so many ways. And and like you, I just, I just kind of wish they took that extra step and, and just like, I don't need the dungeons even, yeah. you know? And it's, it's interesting too. Cause like not only you mentioned, we get one memory of Zelda and yeah. maybe a, an visual allusion to Ganondorf reference yeah. to Ganondorf link is also weirdly vacant. Cause I mean, the, the adventure begins, the plot begins and ends with skull kid. Skull kid is by all means, the protagonist of like the story mechanically, mm. the ending is even all about, I mean, the ending is like skull kid reconciling with the giants and with the fairies. And then tattles like, Hey, we got to think like link doesn't even join the celebration in the end. Yeah. He just goes to what he needs. He's able to move on. That's his victory. Right. 
Yeah, that that's honestly. So here here's my here's maybe my my little bit of pushback, but this is also why I think this game is so fucking brilliant. Yeah, is like that is definitely what happens in the text. Like I think I think you could read the text, and one of the reads of that again, like this is why it's so great. You could read the text and have multiple takeaways from the text, but I think one of the, one of the ones that I would agree with is like I think a lot of it is about Skull Kid's redemption or about Skull Kid in general. I think that you could argue that like yes, he is probably the protagonist here, and 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 Link, even though you're embodying him, kind of serves as a way to just move skull kid through his journey and everyone else i mean and everyone else yeah the guiding force of the game in a lot of ways on the on the other end of that though i think if you're to take a step back at least in the way that i've chosen to read the game when you think of skull kid as this reflection of link specifically helping skull kid is helping link like anything that you anything that you attribute to helping skull kid through his grief and sorrow and 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 his you know forlorn experience actually what's happening to link in a lot of ways absolutely and i was thinking about the other transformations where the first one is the deku uh scrub that that transformation is kind of treated as a curse early on but then it's heavily implied that you are embodying like the son of the deku butler like in the end credits you see him mourning that like so you have this character who is unnamed and kind of unmourned until the very end just this kind of forgotten death and like a, a character nobody knows. The next one is is Goron Link Darmani, who is this hero. One of my favorite scenes or collection of scenes in the game is when you meet these spirits who become the transformation masks after you play the Song of Healing. When you play the Song of Healing, they're able to move on. Like they mm-hmm. have this, you know, Darmani is this ghost and he's at his grave and he's this fallen hero that no one seems to know Everyone's assumed he's died. Yeah, everyone has assumed he's died, but he's this like legend. And when you play the Song of Healing, he sees like a crowd of Gorons cheering for him and he's able to just take comfort in his legacy. Yeah. Which is another meta read too, I think, of like, we made Ocarina of Time, man. We can, doesn't matter what happens next. Like yes. we have this crowd who loves us. And when you're Darmani and helping out the Gorons, like they all recognize you as that character. Uh, Mikau, the Zora, I, that to me is the saddest like beat in the game because you like he's dying, like he's in the act of dying when you meet him, yeah, in in the muddied waters, and you like drag him to shore. He dies, you bury him and like mourn him, and then you play the song of healing, and his spirit like sees him with his girlfriend or partner who has given birth to these eggs. You have to find. And they're able to play together as this band. It's really beautiful. And like that to me, though, is so sad because like at least with Dramani, it's like there's this legend and he comes back and that could be like a fun Mm -hmm. fable for Gorons to share in the tavern. But like with this band, they're going to learn he's not around anymore, you know, and like it's almost like they just get like one last chance to literally, you know, be given a voice to their grief and to be able to like accept their responsibility as a band but also as a family with these new zora babies but also think about like the way the game ends link just leaves and with link leaving that also means that the gorons lose their hero again exactly and then the last one is you literally make statues of all of them including link where it's like in some ways it's recognizing like all of their time has passed but Mm -hmm. they also get to move on. And I think that's something you help all the characters do. You know, like there's a lot of grief in the game. I mean, the two, the two women at the ranch I mentioned, like you can, uh, one of the side quests is you can ride like the carriage with Kremia back to town. And she just 
that I meant I joked to you that it was like Kentucky Route Zero all of a sudden. It's like this pretty long scene about yeah. how they lost their father, and it's like without explicitly saying it, it seems like all the responsibility has kind of fallen on her. And her younger sister is like clearly very like spirited and creative, but also maybe a little traumatized. Yeah. And like there's a side quest there where you're essentially fighting like ghosts slash aliens to not abduct cows. It's very silly, but it's a moment too where like you can kind of read that as like maybe you are literally fighting off aliens (laughs) or maybe you're letting this like girl be seen, you know, and be Mm -hmm. heard and allowing her older sister to like, you know, be able to like be the caretaker yeah. and not have to like be too stretched then you're telling me that something unbelievable is happening to something <laughs> to somebody who is way too young to be experiencing something like that and then after that <laughs> scene she's like let me give you a mask that like basically signifies you as an adult which is a cow's head that lets you go into the milk bar and milk is uh, there. I feel like we could do a whole episode on how this game treats milk. (laughs) I think it's very, I mean, I think it's another flip where it's like, it's clearly meant to be alcohol, but like milk is synonymous with like, you know, babies and children. Mm -hmm. There is, I I think too, if you want to see this as a reflection of Ocarina, it is also kind of interesting how like the two girls at the ranch are actually the same character in Ocarina. They just used her child model and her adult model. And I always like, there are there are a lot of characters who express romantic interests in Link and Ocarina. It's pretty much everybody. But I always got a sense, like, I think one of the fan theories is that Link ended up with her, with mm. uh, Malin, which is partially uh, sort of present in Twilight Princess starting off as, like, a farmer in that game. That's interesting. Yeah. It's really the only one that would could possibly happen because, like, Zelda's not going to happen. Yeah, it's not Zelda. Everyone else becomes sages. So, you know, right. back to Lamon Ranch. <laughs> um, but I think there is like, without getting too direct, like there is sort of like a sexual awakening there too. And the, it kind of goes alongside like this sort of transition between childhood and adulthood, like spending one night, just pure kids imagination and then kind of learning about the adult responsibilities of the ranch. And then also like, you know, receiving the hug and the mask and there's this moment of like oh is this what an adult is like is this what being an adult is like because mm. i think there it's maybe the one moment where growing up is presented as like kind of a positive where like yeah it's like kind of a bummer and it's real but there's joy to be found too yeah it's not just tingle denial or market hell you know right. um, yeah or uh, yeah the the flip of that entire side quest is the one with uh the girl whose dad is turning into a gibdo downstairs right oh my god which yeah, like intense it's really intense and and the implication here is is you know her her father started turning into a gibdo uh and and they're the gibdos all over the place outside you know and he's he's slowly turning into one and the implication is that this has been happening for a long time and long enough and she has been so horrified by this experience of him turning and it seems like a painful process to turn into one that she's locked him essentially in the basement so he like i think can die kind of gracefully without her needing to really look at it fully i think i think she can recognize in some ways that he would be i think pretty distraught knowing that she had to watch that transformation happen over a slow period of time but also it creates another situation that is very close to links where she has to suddenly grow up right and she has to fend for herself and and learn how to raise herself because she's the only one my my feeling about this is that this is another one that's a little bit more thematic and less literal than i think the game would have you believe right the 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 mother has clearly passed away or is gone in some way shape or form here 
which then means that, you know, the father is probably slinking into a pretty deep and dark depression. It was my read, at least at yeah. this moment. Um, he's lost in some way. He's yeah. lost. Exactly. And, you know, you go play the song of healing for him and he turns back into a dad and everything. I cool, love that you know? scene where like he's like, what was I doing? What happened? She was like, you were doing nothing. It was just a bad dream. It's like, yeah. heartbreaking. But it yeah. is like she is the one comforting him. You yeah, know. exactly. And and as you mentioned, like another instance of painting the portrayal of growing up as like a kind of horror or a sadness in some ways. Yeah. And of course, I think the 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 one people are probably screaming that we haven't mentioned yet is Anju and Cafe. And th that whole thing is like there's a wedding supposed to happen on the third day, but Cafe has been transformed into a kid. And that quest is is like truly would be audio poison to explain the steps of. it is like <laughs> it is so much um but it's also like the quest i think people think of when they think of this game you yeah. know that kind of goes hand in hand with like i think while the dungeons are very creative and well designed like it's that side quest that i think shows the intricacy of the schedule and of the npcs and like even to stockpot in as a setting you could do like a one-act play just, just in everything that's in, happening in there and letting and seeing everyone come in and out yeah i'm gonna give a land deed to a toilet <laughs> that's act two <laughs> i'm gonna win the lottery as a beat of the journey <laughs> but my you mentioned before how like skull kid is a sort of parallel link in my one of my and this is maybe a bit more of a stretch i do think like i do think the game wants you to consider skull kid alongside link pretty directly yeah but in my head, I think there even in the are, art, like I think the art yeah. is like very clearly alluding to that. Sorry, I would argue Cafe is another link. I think there are three links in this game, and there's you know there's the anger and feeling lost emotions of Skull Kid. There's the link we play as, who by all means is kind of like a vessel for the actions of the player, and also like just like you know a, a force of change for all these characters, and. I think what kind of made me think of Cafe, other than just he does kind of look like Link, yeah. he has a similar face. In the end credits, when the wedding happens, we only see it from first person. We see it from his point of view. We actually don't see them together. Yeah, you play um, as him. And you play as him. So I'm like, is there kind of like a Triforce of Links here? Like, are we playing as Courage yet again? Skull Kid is power and Cafe is wisdom? I'm not sure. I mean... I that's I would take your more... stretch and stretch it even further personally and say that almost <laughs> everyone you meet is a reflection of Link in some way, or at least that's ev the thing. everyone yeah. who has a quest that is solvable in the Bomber's Notebook, I think in some way is representative of something that Link is going through. Totally. I mean, yeah, again, Cafe's like... is definitely one of the most like on the nose though, right? I mean, because he is literally an adult who has been turned back into a kid and that is, I think, how Link feels in this moment also. Yeah, I think I think the mapping to the Triforces may be where it loses a bit of uh, value, but like... I, I think there is just that that beat of Ocarina is present in his quest, you know, and that's yeah. another exploration of like childhood and adulthood. And, you know, it, it is like they don't explicitly say that he grew up for the wedding, but I think it's pretty strongly implied that he did. Yeah. You know, I think uh, the crowd would probably be less enthusiastic if he didn't, <laughs> you know, that quest is unbelievable. Just a side note that it's like unbelievable that quest is in this game because it takes like pretty much the whole thing three days like it takes all 72 hours to finish it and it ends right before the moon crashes into the earth like and, it, and that's the thing it's and that's also like they just fully accept their fate in kind of a beautiful way i mean yeah. like she's just sitting in a room with a wedding dress like on a mannequin 
and yeah. he comes in and they just kind of sit together knowing like we may not be like where like this is not working out the way we wanted to but like we're present like we're here in some way together yeah um it reminds me too of like just that image that kind of like kind of sort of disturbing image of like this child with an adult's mind <laughs> like looking at someone he once connected to yeah it's like child link saying goodbye to zelda you know when she mm. turns him into a kid it's kind of that flip again totally yeah i we haven't even brought this up yet but man the music in this game is so good i think they one-ups the songs in a lot of cases i think so um, i think this is this is i i'd have to go listen to a lot of it again but i while i was playing it i was like is this the best zelda soundtrack i think it might be like just the reason i'm bringing it up right now is is the song that plays in the final hours of the last day is like one of the most beautiful haunting ambient works i've heard probably ever like it is it's just lodged in my head and will be forever Koji Kondo. Koji Kondo did this. It's interesting too, like, there's a moment in Ocarina that's like kind of played for laughs where Darunia is so stressed out and he's like, a song of the woods would cheer me up. And then you play him Saria's song yeah. and he dances like crazy. And I feel like they were like, what if that was the whole game? <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what if we use music to actually, like the song of healing is that for, and it's no coincidence, the Song of Healing is the Saria song backwards. Yeah. I think it's also kind of cool to see when you play that for Darmani, you know, it's like in Ocarina, you're playing Saria's song to inspire Darunia to keep living. And in this game, you're playing the Song of Healing to tell him to like move on to the next life. Yeah. I think the the use of the Song of Healing is very interesting too, because it, it is kind of a sad song. It's not like a, I wouldn't put that song on to cheer someone up, but it's <laughs> it's the kind of song you you could believe is like, it reminds me of, of uh, weirdly enough, Final Fantasy X, where Yuna has like the sending ceremony, where like part of her role in that story is to kind of do literally this, see yeah. spirits off to the afterlife. Otherwise you have to fight Seymour for the fifth time. But uh it is also kind of like a somber but beautiful song. And that's what the Song of Healing is. And I think, too, like the the other songs, like they play more with genre. And I think like there's cases where other characters are like singing or playing with you. Like, I think it's telling that there's a, a, a band in this game of right. Zora's. Um, so it's almost a like I see music in Majora's Mask as a reminder you know, it's like all these people are just dumping their like id onto you. <laughs> and you're like, it's all good, man. Like, here's the song. Either the world's going to end or not, but like you are going to be okay. Like, you just got to be present. Yeah. Or not, you know, move on. Get over it. Yelled Link in his one <laughs> line of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you push Z on the N64 version, he goes, get over it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a beautiful game. I'm curious. Um, so I am assuming you didn't do the fierce DD. No, yeah, I opted out of that this time. If you get every mask, there is a fourth transformation, which is called fierce DD link. And you kind of look like a like evil version of adult link. Um, and it's also like it's one of the least explained things in the game. And what makes it even kind of eerier is that when you do get to the moon, it's personified as almost this like Garden of Eden where there's like, yeah. 
four kids running around. They're all there are four kids in the boss's masks kind of prancing around. And then there's the kid with Majora's mask kind of like hunched in the middle. They have the character model of the happy mask salesman also. Yeah. Which is interesting. Raises questions about that guy. But if you, if you like, you can, you can just go straight to the Majora fight or you can talk to all the kids and give them all of your masks. And there are like trials for all the transformations. Uh, And then you'll, you're asked by the kid with Majora's mask. If you want to play, like good guys and bad guys, like you'll be the bad guy is how it's pitched when Mm. you get the first duty mask. And all that really happens is you get this transformation where you're like adult link with this curved sword and you're just like, it's completely broken. Like I actually think it's worse to do it because it makes the fight like a total breeze Mm. and kind of removes a lot of the tension. It is cool to get just for bragging rights. Yeah. And it's kind of like, the thing is, this game has like eight different Vigoron swords already. There's the <laughs> there's the Gilded Sword, which I always get. Because mm-hmm. um, you start with the Kokiri Sword. You can get the Gilded Sword by talking to the blacksmiths in uh, near the Goron village, who I love. They have like a weird, like odd couple duo <laughs> energy. They will sharpen your sword and it can be stronger temporarily. But if you get gold dust... You can then make it the Gilded Sword. And then there's, I think, the Great Fairy Sword. The Great Fairy Sword also, yeah. Which I also never do because I I just... The temples are hard enough. I actually think the Great Fairies make the temples harder than they need to be because there are so many times where I think I'm about to find a small key or like something I need and it's a Great Fairy. (laughs) And I'm just like, no. The one I did that was worth it was was, uh, doubling the magic meter. Yeah, that is hugely helpful. That's, that's, That's like maybe my one like big mechanical... Uh, pet peeve with this game is I just think like the amount of stuff that uses the magic meter that I feel like shouldn't use the magic meter it's like off the charts so being able to double it was a huge huge godsend. Yeah because the the unique items are all magic arrows and then the transformations all use magic like rolling as the Goron at least to get the spikes uses magic and then swimming as the Zora also uses magic or like dashing. Which makes no sense yeah that might be a 3DS thing. So I know for a fact they changed how Zora swimming worked. Yeah. And I don't know if that was the change or not. But regardless, it's not great. Yeah. Water and N64 just don't mix. You know, unfortunately, they tried not. their best, but it just doesn't work. But honestly, like I, I have more to say, but I'm thinking I might save it for questions because we did get some like specific questions about certain characters and themes. But I'm wondering if you have anything else that stood out to you or anything you want to talk about in this section. Yeah, I think I think I think before before we move on to questions, I think I think just like on the whole, I think it's really special that this is a game that can be read like a hundred different ways. And I think it's one of the reasons oh, yeah. Endured is is a thing that that people continually come back to and talk about and like argue about and discuss online. And it's the reason that like while playing it, it was like, oh, man, I can't wait to have this conversation because it's just it just feels like we could talk about this endlessly in a loop forever if we wanted to. But I think what's really special about it to me is just this concept of like the many layers of read that you can have like you could you could sit there and like i'm sure somebody has done this actually i'm I'm gonna say it out loud anyway but like you could spin up like a whole podcast or youtube channel or something that's like just picking apart the lore of what's in the text of this game like just literally think about what is canon 
to the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time and Twilight Princess, if you want to include that as well. And just like have that conversation about what all the stuff literally means in the text. And then there's the kind of larger read that's like, okay, thematically, who do all these people represent? What do all these quests mean? Who is Skull Kid in relation to Link? What is Termina? Is it real? Is it not? Like, is it Wonderland? What's going on here? Is the moon crashing into the earth? Like Link's repressed memory of what happened with Ganon and needing to kill a man as a child. And then there's zoom out even more and then you have the meta read of like link needing to get over everything that has happened in ocarina of time is also literally what the development team needed to do as well and just like then you could read every character a completely different way like the one that really sticks out to me specifically is the mailman like the mailman to me is a developer literally screaming for help that he doesn't want to be working on the video game anymore yeah like yeah that 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 whole quest line like that ends with him getting permission so a weird thing is um it's it's it is the Andrew and Cafe quest. Like there's two endings to that one, one of which allows you to like free the mailman, which is funny <laughs> where you get you get the mailman's hat uh, when yeah. it, when it's done. But like that quest line ends with him getting permission like from his boss essentially to like move on. You know, it's like, yeah, hey, you don't have to work on this. You don't have to destroy yourself working on your job. You know, you don't have to sit here while the moon is falling and like work yourself into the bone which to me i think i think there's also like a kind of a kind of alongside this there's there's a read of just like the work culture in japan in general where this game was made i think very famously like the culture there is you work non-stop you're constantly trying to impress your superiors you're going out for drinks afterwards and like trying to form some kind of like bond with everybody that you work with but really what that means is like you're just extending your work hours late into the night you're getting drunk and falling asleep on the street like that's how devoted people are to their office jobs at times and the mailman quest line to me was like just so representative of that. And I think you could point at a lot of NPCs in this game and have that exact same read and just have this big question mark about like, yeah, Link is running away from the weight of expectation on him now being like the hero of time, quote unquote. Like, how does he move on with his life? What does he do next? And similarly, you release a game that's called the best game of all time. What do you do with yourself after that? And the answer is like, throw it all the fuck away and just try something completely new and completely fresh and like, see if you can find yourself elsewhere and see if you can reinvent yourself. I think it's no, I think it's no question that this is again, the most these games have ever broken from their own formula, because that's, I think what they needed to do to feel like they could move on and get back to making something like wind waker, you know? Absolutely. By contrast, I wouldn't ever call Wind Waker and, and Twilight Princess conventional, but just by comparison, yeah. like they very much are. Like it does feel like, you know, make a make a classic, scream at the sky, make two more classics, <laughs> you know, like in that order. Yeah. I, I keep thinking of the last line the happy mass salesman has, which feels like, you know, all the possible reads. It's like the game pretty clearly says like the thesis at the end. Yeah. Where the happy mass salesman says in in some form, like you know, every, every, uh, what's the exact line? Whenever there's a meeting, a parting shall follow, but that parting needs not last forever. Whether a parting is forever or merely for a short while, that is up to you. It's beautiful. I mean, it is about like everything needs to end, but it's up to you how it ends. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's kind of, I mean, you know, you can apply that to the many themes of death in the game. I mean, we do see like, you know, a unknown death, the death of a hero, you know, the death of like a father and, and sort of just like a kingdom of death that can't move on. Yeah. But I think it's not just death. It's just legacy and memory and experience. And to me, Skull Kid 
you know, and the Giants, like, I've been thinking about, like, what do the Giants represent, in my opinion? You know, like, hmm. there's something I that's, weirdly enough, they scared me the most as a kid, which is weird because they're, like, these benevolent forces. Yeah. But, like... They're weird. They're the most unexplained and unknowable entities, I think, in the whole game, right? And they're much scarier in the N64 because you can't, yes. like you can't really see them and there's something very dreamlike about like knowing something's there but not being able to see it and having it cry for help yeah. it's like it's deeply unsettling but to me the giants are kind of just what we leave behind like actually our impact on the world mm. you know the happy mass salesman says like you made a lot of people happy and like whether we like restart the game or turn it off or play it again for a podcast like the experience we had happened and it mattered. And to me, the, the game kind of saying that and saying like experiences matter, even if they have already happened, even if they're in the past, even if those characters are dead, that doesn't go even away. Even if they forget immediately, even if it's yeah. like you, you could just make somebody's day just by like doing something nice for them once and then moving on forever, you know? Exactly. And I think it's a very like humble way to, but like refreshingly optimistic look at life because I think we get caught up in like what we want our legacy to be or what we want to accomplish. You know, everyone has big plans in this game or they're like wallowing in something that didn't happen. Yeah. And I think a reminder of like, but look at what you've done. You know, like it doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter where you are right now or what happens tomorrow. Like those things have value even if they can't be explained. And to me, those that's the giants. It's just like when we go to save the Gorons and we like teach the baby a song and it falls asleep and then we win a stupid race for gold and then like tell a joke to a shopkeeper that matters more than anything else. Yeah. You know, like that was our time with, and again, when we actually reset time in the game and they do forget about us, we as the player know what happened, mm -hmm. you know, and I think because it ends the way it does, like we can take comfort in like those experiences, even if they don't live on forever. So to me, that kind of negates like whether this is in his head or not, or Termina is real or not. It doesn't erase the value of those experiences. Yeah, I, I, that's all really well said. And I think I think it leads to you know, it's no coincidence that the game ends almost the same way Ocarina of Time ends, right? It's like you save the world and nobody remembers and then you move on. I, I think in this case, Link ends that experience in Ocarina of Time, like sad and lost and alone and questioning, you know, did any of this matter if nobody remembers? And Majora's Mask ends with him kind of with his head held high, understanding that he made a huge difference and made an impact, you know? And if you're to map one story on top of another and say that this is just a representative experience of him working through what happened in Ocarina of Time, then it's literally Link accepting and being okay with everything that happened to him in that game. And I think, yeah. I think that's so beautiful. I think that's like, first of all, it's just such a bold, like I, I personally think that that was an intended read on the game. I think, I think that that, I think that that's one of the things that the developers wanted players to take away from it. And I think that that's an extremely bold and risky move from a storytelling perspective to say that we're going to make an entire video game that's just going to be a reflection of what this character went through and 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 how they felt at the end of the previous game. I, I think it's really special. Yeah, I can't think of... I mean, honestly, the only other sequel that comes to mind, and this might be a jump scare, but it's Chrono Cross. I think like yeah. Chrono Cross is also a sequel to a game that was instantly hailed as the best game ever made. Yeah. And is equally kind of strange and somber by comparison. Mm. 
you know, I think Chrono Trigger and Ocarina, while they both have a lot of like really sad and really out there moments, they are so like purely adventures, you know, like it feel it's, it's, you're, you're excited to play it. Yeah. Whereas Chrono Cross is like deeply like you, like the first thing that happens is you like talk to a guy who gave up poetry, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, okay, here we are. But that game is all about what could have been, mm-hmm. you know, whereas Chrono Trigger is about time travel. Chrono Cross is about parallel realities, not in like a multiverse way, I guess kind of, but it's more in like a, if you did this one thing differently, what could have happened? Mm-hmm. And to me, that also I also read Chrono Cross as like kind of a contemplative text about following up a classic. Yeah. And it's also, too, a game that just like wildly differs from the original. I think in the case of Chrono Cross, that did rub some people the wrong way. Um, whereas I think Majora at the time was also just like instantly loved. Like people right. liked both. Um, I think it shares enough in common with Ocarina. Like, even if you aren't, like, fully open to what Majora is doing, you're probably going to have a fun time with the Zelda game, mm-hmm. you know, like, on a surface level. But yeah, I, I, I can't really think of another sequel in a big series like this that has taken so many risks. Maybe another one is Mass Effect 2, but again, that's kind of was made to be a trilogy. And right. the second game is always kind of like the introspective kind of moodier one. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think um, I I think there I I I don't know how much I I can say uh, at this point, but maybe maybe we, maybe now is a good time to move on to questions. I think when I bring up Chrono Cross, it's usually like the wrap it up uh, uh, signal. I gotta finish that game, man. <laughs> I would love to talk. It really about make it. me want to go finish that game. That is another game that has a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, why don't we move on to the third day? And then finally, a new dawn Great. after that. All right. We're going to take a break. See you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. remain before we're all donezo i always got so stressed <laughs> out when like the beginning of the third day like the clock town theme speeds up and mm-hmm. like the world starts shaking a little bit yeah even the people that are like moon deniers are like okay maybe the carnival can wait <laughs> yeah the um the visual effect i i this is my first time experiencing it i had never even seen this in like any of the media i'd ever i'd ever experienced about majora's mask before playing it but um the visual effect that happens when the when the bell is ringing or like the the gong is going off oh and yeah it, and it kind of zooms out it yeah. zooms out and and the actual like game gets smaller and smaller in your view so cool like one of it's the amazing. coolest visual effects of ever i'm amazed that nobody has just straight up stolen that yeah it's awesome i mean i think the only thing i could think of is in uh simon's quest when it turns into nighttime and it like stops what you're doing and says what a terrible night to have a curse yeah but i feel like it's you know better executed version of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, what's fun is like it always i always miss the first one like it's subtle enough that i'm like why does everything look like slightly different and yes. then you're like oh okay it's zooming out. It's especially stressful when you're in like a temple or something, which I've never, I have yet to have an experience where like I was mid dungeon and had to like start over because it was too close, mm. but it's still, it still always gets to me that I'm like on the third day and not the boss yet. Thank you so much for telling me about the, uh, 
the way of slowing time and speeding time up, oh, by the way. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I can't. This this game would be unplayable without them. What's what's bizarre is in the N sixty four version they did exist, but they weren't like shown in the list of songs. Yeah, um, here like they are all given their own spot. It's actually something that I like about both of the three DS remakes is that they like you can look at a song's input while you're playing. Yeah, um, which is very helpful. I don't know why that wasn't in the first one, to be honest. N64, baby. N64, um, baby. We're going to talk about a bunch of these questions. We're going to answer these questions, I should say. Uh, let's, let's start. Let's just do it. Yeah, let's get into it. Thank you so much uh, to everybody who submitted questions for this one. Uh, we love doing Q&A segments. Yeah. I think it's, it's like the best. It's kind of like bowling with bumpers, you know, for us. <laughs> uh, yes, no pressure. <laughs> Um, but it's 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 fun. It's a fun way to engage to have a conversation indirectly. Yeah. Uh, Eric B in Discord. What's your favorite mask? Just starting simple. Yeah. I mean, in function, Bunny Hood. Like uh, again, I can't imagine this game without the Bunny Hood. I also like how you get it. There, there's something. And you keep like, it on in cutscenes, which I really wish I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like it really a, cuts out some of the some of the tension. I remember uh, it was Scarlet Nexus. I gave everyone sunglasses. Yeah, and like all the cutscenes were like, "We can change the past." I'm like, "This rules." Uh, but yeah, it, it does uh, it does add a bit of comedy to otherwise dramatic scenes. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I think the, the bunny hood lets you run faster. Transformation, weirdly enough, I like Deku Link. That might be a hot take. Um, Zoro Link is fun with the guitar, but I just like flying more than i like swimming or rolling mm. i also really i don't know why i, I always like the mask that makes you dance the the i think it's camaro right mm -hmm. camaro's yeah. mask the scariest uh, looking mask when link is wearing it yeah i don't know so like it's it's <laughs> it's, it's like the a head of a man stitched onto a blank face <laughs> i don't know why like i don't know there must be a reference to something or like because it's like every other mask is just like i don't know why we couldn't just wear his face Right. Why is it like a, a flesh and then his head on the top? I don't know. It's so scary. And the stitches are very visible. It's yeah. like, it's really off-putting. It looks like he maybe made it. Like he's not a ghost and he's like, <laughs> wear this and spread my legacy. Yeah. That mask just makes you dance. And like all it really does is there are two, like two of his pupils are in town and they're practicing their dance. And if you wear that, you can like guide them in their dance and then they give you a heart piece. Yeah. It's, it's like a simple little story um you're i think it's almost there as like a reminder that clock town has stuff like that because mm -hmm. you're probably gonna stumble into him because he's like on a pretty visible point near the goron part and you hear the music and he's dancing yeah uh, i just i think he's a very funny character and it's like a nice little story about moving on as well mm -hmm. and also legacy i also just like the dance the, and that's you could do the dance wherever yeah i uh I have two close friends who like I they were both big Majora's Mask fans and when they met they both did the dance and I'm like this is beautiful like this has transcended the game wow. it's now just become like a new handshake that's awesome yeah uh for me I think I think for transformations I I would go with the Goron mask personally I really like rolling Good around pick. yeah it's it's pretty cool I I just don't like it when it's like tight corners but it is fun when you're just like given the freedom to do it yeah I found even after getting Epona I was like. I might just roll around because <laughs> you don't really need Epona in the game. Unfortunately, you just need her to jump over that ledge yeah. to Great Bay. You know what I mean? Though, like to get around, like everything is pretty like you could 
do most of it on foot. Yeah, I think I think like Ocarina's Hyrule Field was built in a way where like not having a Pona is like just meant it was going to take forever. It was going to take forever. And also like when you're a kid, a lot of places just close at night. So you'll have to just fight skeletons for a few minutes. Right. Yeah. I do love that Epona is also young. I think it's very cute. Yeah. She's like a pony in this game. Yeah. A pony. Uh, and <laughs> my, uh, I, th- I think utility wise and maybe, maybe just like in general, cause this was, this was, I think the moment where the game like really kind of took off for me, uh, the blast mask. Yes. I love the blast mask. The ability to not have to use bombs, but like to sacrifice a little bit of your health to essentially get the effect of a bomb is really cool and then when you add that you can hold your shield and like negate that damage like discovering all of that like i i fully just accidentally stumbled into what you need to do to get the blast mask like there's a there's an old woman and she's coming out of i think it's the north gate of clock town and it's like at midnight on like the first or second day i don't remember which one and like as What's funny is I, I walked into that area, work, walked into North Clock Town. I saw like a weird, sketchy looking guy hiding behind a pole. And I talked to him and he was like, oh, just hanging out, not doing anything suspicious. I was like, OK, so this guy's clearly up to something. And I just waited around to see what he was up to. And I just hung around there for like not even that long, like maybe five minutes. And then she walked out and then, you know, he tries to rob her, et cetera, et cetera. You chase him down, get her stuff back. And then she gives you the blast mask. So I just loved like finding that. But then the layers of like, oh, wow, this is super useful. And on top of that, discovering that I could hold the shield and then negate that damage, like all of those discoveries in a row, like just kind of happening by happenstance, I think really just settled me into like, oh, yeah, this game's very, very good. You know, it's also just badass to like wear a bomb on your face. Yeah, like it's just like it's a Sick. cool look. Yeah, yeah. That was one I when you when you mentioned it like that was one as a kid I always prioritized getting. I weirdly missed it this time around. Oh really? Uh, See, so yeah, that was. You can get nostalgic. it before you even get bombs, which is cool. Bombs are used weirdly in this game, where you can kind of just buy them whenever too. Like it's not yeah. like a, a big discovery like it is in Ocarina, where it's like the whole dungeon is built around it. Yeah, yeah. Blast Mask is a great choice. Let's move on to the next question. Okay, another, another mask-based mask Rob in Discord, which mask would you want to wear in real life based on its appearance, and which mask would you want for its power? I love this idea that we're getting the power in real life, too. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think you can answer with Blast Mask for either of these. <laughs> no. I think for me, appearance, it would be the Postman's Mask. I think it's, it's just a nice red hat. I think it just looks, like, I would wear that hat, I think. And then power wise, I think I would probably take your answer from the last question. I would say bunny hood, like being able to run faster and jump higher and further in real life. Like that'd be sick. The Keaton mask. I always liked It's sort of like Pikachu. Yeah. Oh, I do like the mask of sense a lot, though. Both, oh, the, the pig. Both for fashion and for function. Yeah. Let's see. I'm scrolling through it real quick. <laughs> what? Is, whatever. This will be my answer. I want the circus troop leader mask. <laughs> With the power of the bunny hood. So I'm just crying and like running past everyone as fast as possible. I forget. Actually, the all night mask is pretty cool looking too. The all night mask is sick. Yeah. Yeah. I also um, just liked its use. Like dis- yeah. discovering what that did was so exhilarating. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, this makes talking about all the mask functions makes me want to like there's enough power already in Tears of the Kingdom, but I'm like sort of like if you upped the immersive sim element of Majora's Mask with all these different combinations Mm -hmm. that would be so interesting right I kind of want like I also think we're at a time where you know 
I remember seeing, especially when Tears of the Kingdom came out, we're now deep enough in the open world Zelda territory, and that's clearly where we're going to be for the foreseeable future, that I think there's a growing number of people who like kind of prefer for their own reasons, like this era of 3D Zelda, where it was like not top down, not open world, but it was still like scripted, linear storytelling. And I'm really curious if we're going to see like, I'm sure they already exist. So please tell me if, if, you know, they exist and I should play them, but I'm just like, I want to see the indie Majora's Mask so badly. Like Mm -hmm. I want to see a game that's like just stockpot in, or like, I want to see a game where it's all these different powers, like, in maybe a more modern structure. Yeah. Um, there's so many possibilities that I think like, this game has clearly had a big impact. Um, there's a question later about like time loop games in general, which I think, you know, this is like the godfather of that genre in some ways. But yeah, I just, I think there's still so much to like grab and run with from this game. Mm. Coop CL and Discord, both games, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask are similar, but very distinct in mood and design. Is there anything you feel has been improved and not just changed from Ocarina? This is tough. I think overall, I mean, this is a bit unfair because it's a different focus, but the like fetch quest stuff, like I think Ocarina's sort of in between tasks, like it's almost the opposite of Ocarina, where, like the temples are why you're playing it in a lot of ways Like they string along the whole journey. And yeah. like, there's a lot of atmospheric storytelling in the temples as well. That I ironically didn't feel that much in Majora. Like I didn't feel, I feel like the forest temple and like the shadow temple are so thematically rich in the environmental storytelling. Mm. And in the in the Majora temples, I just sort of felt like they were a continuation of what was already set up by the earlier beats. Yeah. But regardless, like uh, I think this sort of like tasks with NPCs, like the side quests, for lack of a better phrase, are much better in Majora. I also just think they got the feeling of Link down better. Like even in the N64 version, like you mentioned Link doing backflips and stuff, like jumping and movement, I think, are the clear improvements, especially evidenced by like all the transformation powers. Um, So that would be my answer. I I honestly don't know if I have an answer to this because I feel like this game is so different like it it obviously carries a lot over from ocarina of time but like its intentions in its design are so different yeah that all of the things that are standing out to me are just big changes you know yeah i I, yeah i I think that's exactly right and i would have to play like i do remember playing the n64 versions in college fairly back to back like i played all of ocarina and then i started majora and like Majora's Mask was one of the later entries in the N64. And mm-hmm. like we always say, the games that come out at the end of a console's life just like fully utilize it. So like I do think overall it looks and feels a little better. Yeah. But like not noticeably. I mean, only if you were to play them back to back. So I think you're right. They just have different missions as games. But I would say like movement is probably the one that comes to mind. Mm. Um, you can swim. <laughs> Majora's Mask is famous for its unsettling. This is also from CoopCL, by the way. Uh, Majora's Mask is famous for its unsettling and downright creepy atmosphere. And the spirit of October, which part did you find the spookiest? I think like maybe this is a cop out answer, but I think the scariest thing in this game is like it's never the monsters or like the bosses or the character models or anything, but it's just like the unsettling impending doom. You know, it's like the real like ennui and it's the real sense of not having enough time and and needing to internalize that as a human being you know 
and seeing that reflected in a video game at least that was it for me like the 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 most unsettling thing for me was was the more i thought about my own life (laughs) yeah yeah i I think that's right i mean there is like I think I'm kind of numb to like the moon's face and like Skull Kid's movements and stuff. Yeah. Honestly, for me, it was it was the Zoras dying, like or the mm-hmm. the Zora like having to drag him out of like the the music that plays when like the when you're in an area that is like cursed. Yeah. That like da 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 like that song is very like not things aren't as they should be. Like this place is cursed. Yeah. Uh and the contrast of like the brightness of the day and the beach and like actually talking to this character and then watching them die. And like, it is in some ways, Pikachu uplifting and Mario too. are fighting each other in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the melee effect yeah. of that level of that area. But, um, <laughs> like, I think it's, it's a touching moment because you're like you, you as link, like there's a scene where he bows to the grave mm-hmm. of the Zora, but it's like, it's the only time in the game where you actually like witness a death happen. Yeah. And that to me, was like really deeply chilling, especially just transforming into him right after. And then like talking to his band, mm. you know, who like have no idea he's dead. Uh, that to me felt very unsettling. Um, so I would say overall, that was what stood out to me this time. Yeah. Rufus and Discord asked a few questions. I chose my favorites here. Um, what do you see the role of Skull Kid as? What do they represent to you? We touched on this a little bit already. Yeah, but I was wondering if you had any more to say on this. No, no, I feel I feel like I've encompassed that one pretty pretty clearly. But I uh, just to reiterate, I really I, I think of Skull Kid as just like a representation of Link's psychic damage. <laughs> yeah. After Ocarina of Time, it makes me want, and I, I'm curious. You know, when when. Uh, when we inevitably revisit Twilight Princess, like I remember liking, I know we've kind of memed Zant with our friend Dom, but like yeah. I remember liking Zant as a villain and I was kind of disappointed when he like took a back seat eventually. Mm. I, I am now kind of hungry to see other Zelda villains. I guess we got Girahim in uh, Skyward Sword, but I didn't find him super the interesting. In- the interesting line, the through line between all of the non-Ganon villains in Zelda is that they're all like kind of unpredictable. And yeah, and freaky in their unpredictability, which I think is very interesting. I kind of I feel like uh, Skull Kid being a villain that is like a vessel for a darker power and that kind of bleeding together, mm. I think is interesting and like almost feels like a Spider-Man type villain where it's like mm. yeah. the best Spider-Man villains are the people that he knows already. Yeah. And like obviously Link and Skull Kid don't really know each other, but like he is a figure of his past in some way. Yeah. And he is also like, he's essentially like a Kokiri without friends. You know, they are in the same, they grew up in the same area and like could have had kind of a toss of the coin of who got what fates. Yeah. You know, one of them went to if, private school and one of them went to public school. Yeah, exactly. But like if Link didn't get Navi, he, he would have also been a skull kid, mm-hmm. you know? So there is that, I, I think seeing him as an extension of Link, I think is a great read. Next question from Rufus. Do you see Link as the main character in this game or is he more of an interloper to you? I think we also kind of address this. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting to think about. To me, I see this as an opportunity to explore the definition of main character in video games specifically, because I think often who we play as the player character doesn't necessarily need to be the main character. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like to give oblivion some praise rather than just insults in this, in this episode. <laughs> I think what I like about the main story in oblivion is that like 
you are the guide to the chosen hero, but not the chosen hero themselves. Right. And there are other games that kind of operate that way. You know, I think especially in RPGs where like sometimes the player character is like a silent vessel for the player. We do need the supporting cast to kind of like add life and meaning to to that character's existence. Yeah. And I think this game is kind of taking one step further where it's like we actually have to embody the supporting cast. Um, so I think I think uh, I said before that I kind of see Skull Kid as the protagonist. I see Link almost as like a force in this game where, you know, I think not everyone is aware that it is Link, but Link is sort of the vessel for our actions of helping people. You know, it's like a force of good. So, you know, you can make a case that he's also I me. Mean, we're playing as him. He's it's Link. Okay, he's in Zelda. He's he's important. Yeah, I think if you were to go by the like just standard definition of what is a protagonist, like the protagonist is the catalyst for the story to happen. Yeah, <laughs> like Link <laughs> right. is definitely the protagonist in that way. Um, and I think this is a little bit where you and I differ on reads of this game, but I I really just see like everything else that happens in this game as as foils for his arc and his growth. Yeah, that makes sense. Here's a question we haven't actually addressed: what What is the happy mass salesman? I take back everything I say. <laughs> I, th- I think the Happy Mass Salesman is a protagonist because I-, I guess in some ways he's really the catalyst for all the storytelling. <laughs> well, I think I think he is the Happy Mass Salesman is the MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in some ways like the narrator and and the storyteller. Yes, you know that's that's um, how I see him definitely. Yeah, I think he he's sort of like if Willy Wonka had way less screen time. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> welcome to my weird kingdom. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, he's um. He, I don't know. He's Link's therapist, I guess, in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a lot of ways to read the Happy Mass Salesman. Also, like he is in Ocarina. There's a whole yeah. Happy Mass Salesman side quest that involves like helping people in a, in kind of a similar way. None of the masks have powers other than the Mask of Truth, which is what you get at the end, which lets you talk to those like bouncy stone tablets. Yeah. But it's interesting how he he is. I, I mean, I kind of said Willy Wonka as a joke, but he is kind of like that, where he is weirdly like prone to like sudden switches to anger. Like mm-hmm. even in Ocarina, like if you you know if you mess things up, he like, suddenly gets very angry. But yeah, I think uh, I think the sort of twist of him being like a force for good in the ending was kind of like, and that's what makes him more interesting. So there's something like inherently suspicious about him, just the way he moves the jump scare cut to the organ which is like famous yeah yeah he does he, I, I think just to illustrate he doesn't have any animations between his poses so it just cuts it's just, yeah. it just hard cuts between the, the poses that he has which i think is like super unsettling i think he yeah he does a good job even almost more than skull kid kind of forecasting the tone of the game yeah like i think it's it's telling that in ocarina we get a big tree that speaks in middle English <laughs> and in Majora, like the person who gives us our mission is the happy mass salesman Yeah, is like a distorted vision of someone we like met once, you know, it's like, who is this again? Um, and I think uh, there is that, like, that's where I think the game feels the most like a David Lynch directed film, you know, where it's like things just feel a little off. Like we can't, it's it's i think it's really thrilling how like the happy mass salesman is like one of the few characters who remembers us but we also feel like we're kind of talking to an alien Mm -hmm. you know there is that disconnect still i i I love them i think they're great um but i think overall their role in the story is like the storyteller yeah last one from rufus 
did the alien sequence work for you? Yeah, I saw some people talking about how like that might have been kind of like uh, Indiana Jones, like introducing aliens could be a step too far. They are referred to as ghosts, but like there is that visual of a cow being abducted. Like it is like mm-hmm. by all means kind of a, a extraterrestrial threat. I think I, I love, I mean, I, I quoted that, I, I referenced that quest already and I think there's multiple ways to read it like the whole game. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like it, it didn't break my immersion. I think like Termina is a weird place. If they were like, these are aliens from space, maybe not but, like, <laughs> yeah, leaving it loose. And also like, like I, if you explore their house, they, the sisters share a room and on Romani's side, there's like all these drawings on the wall. So she's like a very creative child. And later when you help out her older sister, there are bandits that attack the wagon on your way to town. And I'm just like, is this how she's like internalizing bandits Mm. kind of like in a spirited away sort of thing where it's like, she is adding a layer of fiction to reality to kind of cope with it. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's meant to be that, heavily interpreted at the moment but i think i think for me what's most interesting is the contrast of like we get like maybe the most sort of fantasy almost sci-fi moment in the game with with the younger sister and then with the older sister we get like kentucky red zero yeah (laughs) kind of grounded adult drama um so for me the contrast feels very intentional for i just was like oh yeah this came out in the year 2000 and (laughs) of course there's aliens in it i don't know it, was, it happened it's it's so funny because so so much of at least the stuff that i brought up so far on this episode has been like here's my 15 ways i i read every single moment of this game and the aliens happened i was like nice aliens <laughs> dude <laughs> dude space i, just, I, like, I didn't even think about it <laughs> cool let's move on to the next question uh humanity on tumblr in addition to making me fall in love with spooky games majora's mask and ocarina of time Made me fall in love with time travel elements in games. What are your other favorite games that play around with the flow of time? So I saw this question earlier and I have been biting my tongue this whole episode Ooh. to not bring up the Forgotten City. Oh, yeah. So I just think to me that <laughs> is the, the game. game of the year lauded. Yes. The Forgotten uh, City. If you, if you haven't played the Forgotten City and you like the time travel or time loop element of Majora's Mask, specifically like in Clocktown. I think the Forgotten City is like the closest we have to a Clock Town game. Mm-hmm. It really is like just talking to people, learning their schedule. There's like several mysteries happening. It is originally was a Skyrim mod and was rewritten and, and made from the ground up to be. It was originally set in like a, a Dwemer city, I believe. And now it's yeah. like in a forgotten Roman city where the whole premise is if anyone there commits a sin, everyone dies everyone uh, gets turned into golden statues and essentially so like that's sort of what unites it's almost like that's the moon crashing you know that is the thing that everyone is talking about and what informs everyone's like worldview some people are terrified of it some people are like you know totally ignoring it um and your job at least early on is to figure out who's gonna break this because you find the city in ruins initially and until you're brought back in time. So I don't want to say any much more than that because I just think discovery and the time loop of it all is like the reason to play it. Um, highly, highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. Forgotten city was going to be number one on my list too. Um, I mean, we already brought up Chrono Trigger. That's, that's another obvious one. 
the ways in which they mess around with time are really spectacular. And we have a whole bonus episode just about that. I think the other ones I would bring up real quick uh, would be Braid, probably. I, I think in terms of just like adding time travel to a platforming game was very interesting. And there are a lot of meditations about that uh, and, and why the game has time travel as an element, I think, that are very interesting narratively. Um, Radiant Historia is one that you and I played on the DS episode that was like great for a while at least I, I i never ended up finishing it but it's one that i always think about going back to yeah it's kind of similar to chrono cross and it, it's very it's like time travel but specifically like what if we did that one thing differently and yeah what would have happened i just think the the view that they give you of like here's the timeline and the order of events and very watching cool. them all branch yeah. out and being like i can travel to any of those branches whenever i want and like change the future so cool um and the last one i'd bring up probably another one that came out the same year as the forgotten city is death loop um which is a oh, game yeah. that I really, really enjoyed, I think, a lot more than most people did. That was like, I, I really liked Deathloop. Um, I had a big issue with the last mission, kind of in the same way that I think some people might have an issue with the Anju and Cafe quest in this game, where it's like you could play the entire quest and fuck up right at the end and then need to restart and redo the whole thing. Deathloop is the same way right at the end. But I don't know. I, I, I think very fondly of that game. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I another one that's like not necessarily a time loop, but it's a game that's very interested in being played repeatedly is Nier Automata. Uh, if you haven't played it, I think it does. Oh, God. It yeah. does kind of scratch a similar itch where I think you're you'll see what I mean if you ever give it a shot. But I think it's it's also when I think of time loops in games or at least like that are similar to Majora's Mask, I think about the player or the character being armed with information that will like you'll eventually get another shot at it in some way you know i think sometimes that can be like literally time travel and sometimes that's just like the game giving you another chance at something so those are the all the ones that come to mind there are others but i actually think it would be a spoiler to mention them so that's probably true to. yeah yeah next question brittle moon in discord asks do you consider this a horror game or a zelda game with horror elements yeah this is interesting because i feel like you and I have talked about this a little bit off the show, but I feel like this is a game that very much gets like painted with the horror brush, you know? I mean, we're talking, yeah. it's, just, it's a Halloween spectacular. Like we're releasing yeah, this on Halloween. Yeah. Like it definitely fits the tone and the vibe of like spooky season in general. But as you brought up, I, I, I think it, I think it really, when you're done with it, at least, you know, what, and also I think just while you're playing it, like while you're checking off quests in the bomber's notebook, I think for most people, it will probably slowly start to dawn on you that it's actually more about like, hope and healing than it is about horror um yeah which you know to be fair that's also true of a lot of horror stories right like a lot of horror films are actually just meditations on trauma or something like it so it's it's not totally unlike that but i i think the game comes out the other end and and i think although it uses a lot of horror elements i don't think i i would consider it to be a horror game yeah, I would say it's a Zelda game with horror elements. Like I, I normally don't like we talk about using genre as a guide and not as a box. Yeah. Um, but I think like to me, yeah, to me, the goal of horror is different. I, I think like you can definitely I mean, I think Alien, the first one, at least is actually a good example of like a horror movie that ends with like the resilience of humanity, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think you're going to walk out of that movie and be like, I can take on anything, <laughs> but you know, like. <laughs> There is like, <laughs> there is a catharsis. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's the thing about Zelda is like, Zelda's always been pretty good about balancing tone. Like I think, um, well, I would say this is probably thematically the darkest Zelda, 
there are others like i mean the the depths and tears of the kingdom is terrifying you know like yeah i think i think like as comforting as the open world games are there's are so many like deep sea hellish creatures in that game that are not maybe like scary on a philosophical level but they're frightening in the moment yeah i'll give a shout out to um jacob geller once again who made a youtube video that i literally held off watching until i played majora's mask like i've always wanted to watch it i've always had it in my watch later feed on youtube and just like didn't click on it until i was finally done with this game but he has a video that's great that's called every zelda is the darkest zelda and he just kind of like very quickly goes through the story of every zelda game and just like paints them with like the darkest brush ever just as kind of proof that like yes majora's mask is a dark game and is deserving of i think a lot of the ways people talk about it but when you really look i mean ocarina of time i think is one that most people when talking about it don't talk about it the way we do is like what a dark sad experience that is like it's such a tragic tale um and you could really say that about most of them including wind waker wind waker is about the end of the world the end of the world happened already. yeah wind waker is i think wind waker like should be the darkest in theory yeah <laughs> like based on what happens but is you know has such a bright depiction with the art style and everything right and also the way like that that that's like, i think one of the more dialogue driven zelda games which is partially why i like it so much it's very like well written and funny um but it's also like yeah it's about real things and it's about like finding hope after the world is ended yeah which is heavy same with breath of the wild very interesting it's a, it's a recurring theme in hyrule okay next up uh gj and discord as far as i can remember majora's mask is the only zelda game with multiple musical instruments do you think majora's mask has any emphasis on or differing views of music compared to the other games yeah totally yeah i think um i, th I think this game is really interested in music as like a link to culture and community yeah. in a really big way it, it literally and i think figuratively has healing properties right like you there is the song of healing um but it's also just kind of a way to communicate outside of standard speech i think in a lot of ways i I, th I think i think the game is very very interested in music's cultural force and the ways in which you can use it to to connect with others Absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking of a scene in the milk bar actually, where if you visit there and talk to like the manager who is, that's where the indigo goes are going to play. Yeah. And so like, if you show up there, he's like, Oh, like if you're just, if you're just link, he'll be like, Oh, you play the ocarina, like get on stage and play these notes. And then if you transform into the other characters, he asks you to play their instrument somewhere else on stage. And you actually get a scene of like all the characters. It's, it's really nice just to see all of them together. Yeah. Cause you know, totally. in, in a sense you're like, even though you are kind of just wearing the skin of these dead <laughs> heroes, like <laughs> they do feel like friends you've made. Mm. Like I do, I do think of them as like the sages in some ways in Majora's mask. Um, but, uh, there's a guy at the bar who like, whenever you play a song, he's like, ah, shut up. Like that's, you know, what's that noise? Mm. Um, but then when you finally have all of them together, the Zora playing the guitar, Goron on the drums, and the Deku with the horns, and Link with the ocarina, it connects. And he realizes what song it is, and he, like, remembers Lulu's mother, who, like, he was, you know, enraptured by and loved her music. And that's how you get the circus leader mask. That's just him crying. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, really <laughs> depressing. But it's, like, you only got to break through to him because of that band, not just, like you playing the song of healing it had to be all of them mm, you know right 
which I think, again, it's like we mentioned before how there are characters that will like sing with you and, and play instruments with you. And that, that happened in Ocarina, but like not to the same degree. I think the most you got was uh, Malin singing a Pona song and Impa whistling Zelda's lullaby, yeah. which felt more like utility than theme. So I think you're right that there's a cultural link to song and also kind of linked to the past memory. <laughs> Moving, moving on. Sometimes you have to know when to say goodbye. Uh, oh God! So there. So every now and then you get asked a question like this. Uh, our, our friend Will in Discord. Thank you for this. Which Zelda game is which Radiohead album? Really get nitty gritty. This is both a softball and a landmine at the same time. Yeah, I I don't want. <laughs> The the back and forth of this is like, I don't want to alienate every person who's made it this far into the episode. <laughs> so if you're not a Radiohead fan, I'm so sorry for what's maybe about to happen. Um, thankfully, we have chapter markers in the show notes. Feel free to skip this. <laughs> this also, I just want to say that this, a lot of people ask these questions in the Discord, obviously. And when this was asked, like, it blew up. I mean, yeah. like, everyone, I almost wonder if we shouldn't even bother because I feel like we we've already seen... The full exploration. Yeah, join the Discord and search for Radiohead and see and <laughs> have a good time in there. I, th- That's a I little... would like to I would like to hash out what Radiohead album this game is, though. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. I'm not gonna do more than that. I think I it's think... really between two. I think there's I think I think there are only two that really stand out to me as like possibilities here, but I want I want to hear what you think. Well, my first thought was Kid A, because I just feel shit. like on one hand you have uh <laughs> what what do you say? I said shit. That's neither what of my I... two. <laughs> Well, because I was thinking, like, when, when Will asked this, I was like, okay, what's, like, a critically acclaimed album followed by a weird experiment that becomes critically acclaimed? Oh, yeah. Hey. So, OK Computer is, like, their breakthrough album followed by Kid A, which feels like kind of a big departure in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, so, there's that in spirit. <laughs> it has been brought to my attention that there are many songs on the album Moon-Shaped Pool yeah. that are, like, written by Skull Kid. Like, no joke. Yeah. Just, like thematically eerily similar i'm not saying that it's it's was conscious on on radiohead's part but it's pretty close it might as well just be in the game somewhere in the files yeah will's been lobbying like a like a marlboro lobbyist in (laughs) trying to allow cigarettes to be sold to children by texting both of us i think i assume they're also texting you just lyrics from a moon-shaped pool. Yes. Yeah, that's what was also happening to me. My my other argument would be King of Limbs. I, I think figuratively based on some of the lyrics from that album, but also literally because Majora, when fighting Majora, turns into what I feel to be a King of Limbs in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, Kid A is a great, a great pick, though. Yeah, that, that, would, that would be... I think just like in terms of like how it relates to the albums, like culturally, like when they came out. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, that would be my pick, but I think like I in think lyrical good. connection, Moonshape pool. Yeah. Um, all right. We did it. Moving on. We did it. Thank you. Will. we, we love you. Take the blast mask off. <laughs> uh, here's an interesting one that we kind of touched on a little bit, but I'm curious what we'll say here. Chase and discord asked, do y'all feel like the days of Zelda being able to be as overwhelmingly dark as Majora's Mask are behind us? Or could they pull off a similar trick in 2023? What would a new darker Zelda tackle thematically? This is a great question. Shout out to Chase, host of Video Game Podtimism, another show on our network, yeah. uh, which you can go check out. This is a great question. I, I'll i say 
without being too disparaging, because I like the video game, to be clear, we talked about it a whole lot. I wanted more of this from Tears of the Kingdom than we got. It really felt, even based on the marketing, like what was going to happen with Tears of Kingdom was a kind of similar, a similar vibe to what happened with with breath uh, sorry with majora's mask i think it's also worth noting i don't think we brought it up yet that ionuma who is the director of the zelda games this was the first one that he directed like fully um oh really yeah like miyamoto was still technically executive producer but ionuma was the game director of majora's mask um it was him and uh koizumi who wrote link's awakening wrote the story and the script Mm. for for this game um you can tell yeah right they're like it's like one's a dream and one's a nightmare you know uh, um, yeah, but Aonuma having gone through that experience of, you know, working on Ocarina of Time and then being tasked with making the follow up to Ocarina of Time, having to do that again with Breath of the Wild, Breath of the Wild coming out, a lot of people saying this is maybe one of the best games ever made and then needing to follow that up with something else. I, I was hoping that he would pull from his own from his own lineage and try and do something like that again. So to get really to the meat of your question, which is like, do you, do you feel like the days of Zelda being able to be this darker behind us? I kind of think that they are. I think that breath of the wild in some ways opened up also just the success of the switch has opened up Zelda to be such a mass market thing. Not that it wasn't before that, but breath of the wild connected with people who were Zelda fans and a whole new audience of people who were not, that following it up with something that was a complete left turn, I think could hypothetically be too risky, like from a business decision, which I think is just like not the kind of place that Nintendo is at these days for something like Zelda. Yeah, I think that in some ways the Majora's Mask like follow up feels like an NES sequel where like yeah. Nintendo's philosophy for a while was like, don't do a sequel unless you have a new idea. Yeah, so like Pixar for a while, at least. W- yeah, right. Until Cars. Um, But uh the jump from like Super Mario Worlds to Yoshi's Island, I feel like you can see yes. that with like Ocarina to Majora's Mask, and they still do that. I mean, I think again, like Breath of the Wild, in some ways, is that too. Yeah, you know, it's a wild, wildly different direction for the. I need to stop saying wildly when I describe Breath of the Wild, but you know, it was a very big change for the series. King to me, <laughs> it's, it's very king to me. It's very yeah. breathy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Uh it is really the dawn of the last days. <laughs> but uh yeah, I I so I'll I'll go back to what I said earlier where I think like Zelda is still I think I think Zelda can be darker than say Mario can be. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we still get blood moons. We still get very like I, I think Tears of the Kingdom is still pretty bold in a lot of what it's doing narratively. You know, I think like there are moments of that game that really surprise me. Yeah. But the storytelling is much more direct. You know, it's like the <laughs> Majora's Mask is by all means like the freak of the series. You know, it's like this game that is just so weird and confident in that. And like, I do think as as much as Zelda is like kind of, I think, given maybe more liberty than other Nintendo series. Um, I imagine you're right. It's like it is at such a scale now that like it can't really go too far. Yeah. We're not going to drag a dying Zora to the shore and then bury him and then wear his skin. Yeah. 
I think uh, ever again. <laughs> you you and I have have talked about this in our conversations about Tears of the Kingdom, but like that game is dark, but I think it's pretty overtly dark. Like it's pretty much like what you see is what you get in a lot of ways with with the um with the kind of darker nature of that thing. Uh, I I think the other read of it that I had that it's like a product of the pandemic and it's a game about the pandemic. I still think holds true and rings true, and in that way, it is you know kind of similarly pretty tonally darker than a lot of the other ones and it's a, it's about something very real but majora's mask is i think still on a completely different level just because what they what they manage to mine narratively also resonates thematically and as we said right at the top of the episode i think like really gets to your core there's a lot of, there's a lot of it that's just wordlessly hitting on a level that I don't, I don't think it always does with Tears of the Kingdom. I also just think the storytelling, I, I might have mentioned this earlier, but like the storytelling of this N64 era is still so like fairy tale and fable-like. Yeah. I, I think we have lost that a bit. Like I think as much as I love Wind Waker, like Wind Waker and on, the narrative is much more surface level in yeah. some ways. It's more overt, it's more literal. Yeah. Which is which works for those games. I, I don't know if you could keep this up. I think we'd all be sick, you know, like we'd just be like dizzy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, what I want from the series though, I don't necessarily need Zelda to be dark necessarily. And it depends on how you define that. I, I do think though, that like Zelda is one of as much as the series is rooted in exploration and in puzzles. I do think it has become one of the more narrative focused flagship nintendo series mm. i mean you can count like xenoblade and stuff which is more overtly narrative but yeah. like when we're talking like mario pokemon zelda like Zelda's the one that can actually tell a story yeah. uh, and i think there's an opportunity there especially because it's reaching so many people like i think that tears of the kingdom will definitely be an inspiring story to a lot of people but i think again there's like that wordless power to something like ocarina and majora's mass that i I think I would want that confidence and just like, I don't really need a cut scene. I don't even really need voice acting. I just need like, you know, the, the confidence of a moment that can be read in multiple ways. Yeah. You know, I, I think the kind of, I, I, I would like a return to the looser storytelling because it also feels more mythical the yeah. like kind of more open it is. Yeah. It, f- it feels like it takes a note out of the book of like early Disney animation in some ways. Like I, f- I feel like, I feel like early Disney animation, a lot of the moments that you point at as like really iconic moments in Disney movies are the moments where the filmmakers and the animators and, and the writers and directors and everybody who worked on those films were able to let a moment sit for a while. Like I, the one that's coming to mind right now is like lady and the tramp, like the two of them, eating eating the spaghetti together like that's like such a famous and iconic moment and the reason i think that that resonates with so many people is like that's a long sequence like that that sequence takes a long time and you already know how it's going to end but you sit there and you watch it play out over a really extended period of time and i think less confident filmmakers would add more cuts and more edits and and not let that moment sit for as long as it does and the moment that really sticks out to me about majora's mask that really has that moment in it is one I brought up to you in Discord like right before we recorded. But when you're in Econa Canyon, there's there's a point where you're like on your way to get the captain's mask. And the captain is like this giant skeleton uh, that you need to kind of like prove your worth to through combat and all this stuff. It's like it's like honestly pretty silly until almost the last moment when he recognizes you as the captain, bestows the captain mask to you and then essentially requests permission to die. He's like, do I essentially do I have permission to move on is what he asks. And uh there's this long sequence where you're look you just hear the wind 
there's a shot of the captain, then it uh, cuts to a shot of Link, and then it cuts to a shot of the captain again, and then it cuts to Link from behind, and you're lingering on that for a while, and again, you're just hearing the wind, and you see the captain looking at Link, and this has been like maybe like 30, 40 seconds, almost a minute at this point, and then he kicks one foot to the other foot and gives a salute, and then the captain just kind of like dissolves into mist. And while I was watching that, I was like, I just I can't believe that this game has the confidence to have a moment like that last that long, like to to recognize the weight of what's happening after doing something objectively very silly and very video gamey to have it end with this moment that is so resonant and so emotionally just like loaded was uh, was really special. Yeah, that whole that whole area is full of like Muppets comedy followed by like sadness yeah (laughs) yeah i mean like you the when you meet the king who teaches you the elegy of emptiness you know that yeah everything before that song is this is so funny it's like statler and waldorf like in christmas carol you know but like then you create a shell for yourself (laughs) that has the creepy ben drown face yeah and i don't really i mean the thing is like I have confidence that Zelda will always kind of remain one step ahead of things. Oh yeah. As much as I think like there is this style feels a little bit lost and like, you know, I I do in some ways prefer this narrative approach to the newer ones. Like it's going to keep changing. And if we're actually listening to this game, we also have to let this go too. you know, totally have to just see what's, what's ahead of us. Um, Cause the irony too. And what I've said many times in other episodes is like before breath of the wild, there were like dozens of YouTube videos that were like every Zelda game's the same. Now yeah. it's a big eyeball. You know, like it was really like skyward sword was, I think the boiling point for a lot of people. Yeah. And then like, it's so funny to see the flip of it now where it's like, remember the good old days when skyward sword gave you a big eyeball to <laughs> throw something at. Um, <laughs> I think what's beautiful about Zelda is we have these distinct eras to admire, you know, and I think like we, I don't really know what's ahead as much as I think that the open world style is here to stay for the time being, it's going to change again. The only constant is change. And I think Nintendo is for all we critique them for, they're pretty good at that. I think they, they, in their mainline series, they rarely remain stagnant. Yeah. Um, Other than like maybe Pokemon and that's not really, that's not really them. Yeah. 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 So, so look forward to the Legend of Zelda extraction shooter coming next <laughs> after Tears of the Kingdom. This is from Bug Rider on Blue Sky. The lover's mask quest is notoriously super involved. I mean, it's the, the couple's mask, but yeah. I know what you're saying. Do you prefer quests like that or the really simple, straightforward ones like Kamaro and the dancers? Should there have been more of one type or the other? It's a great question. Yeah. I like the variety personally. I think Kamaro is like a nice tutorial for the the couple's mask the couple's mask feels like the bigger on sword of like the side quests like that in this game mm. where it's just like you really have to help it's like a whole like rubik's cube of social situations <laughs> you know and you have to really help every, like, the whole town out to get that thing to happen yeah it's interesting you know you mentioned that when you think of this era of n64 games you think of obtuseness and i think that yeah like this era of games i think games were still young enough that like direction and game design were were learning very rapidly and like sometimes you know it was oh they'll figure it out eventually or they're gonna replay this they'll find it eventually maybe things are like how would i ever ever find that yeah then i think for a while design got maybe almost too 
railroaded and too handholdy in like the mainstream. And I think now we're at this really interesting point where games like Elden Ring are mainstream and in a lot right. of ways <laughs> have that obtuseness of the past. But I think what works about Elden Ring maybe a little bit better than like some of the more obtuse edges of Zelda is that it has the confidence you're going to have fun exploring the world and also has confidence knowing that you're not going to find everything. But when you do stumble into, you know, the Taylor Bach, uh, it's going to feel like, oh, I this is special to me. Yes. Like I discovered this. I think we're realizing that like having a checklist is great, but like it does reduce the magic when everything that can possibly happen is given to you in an Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. I think allowing the player to find that stuff organically can be really magical. And I think some of like the Camaro mask, you're probably going to stumble into that in a way that might inspire you to make the effort to find the couple's mask. So I think you should ideally have both is my answer. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I think although it would have been nice to have some more like full 72 hour quests, like the couple's mask, I also have to consider the reality of the development of this game, you know, like how much of that could they really implement into this game in such a short time span. I think it's kind of a miracle that we even have that one that's able to take up that much time. Right. And it almost makes me wish more than anything else. And this is not really even answering your question, but more than anything else, I kind of wish that they had done a Majora's Mask Master Quest instead of an Ocarina of Time Master (laughs) Quest. Like to have finished Majora's Mask and then go back and do the Master Quest for Ocarina of Time, like as they were originally intending on doing. I kind of wish they hadn't done that. And just given more Clocktown residents. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I I would love to see more of this because I, I think you're totally right, though, in terms of actually answering the question. I, I think you're right. <laughs> you, you need both. You need both or else um, or else the other doesn't work. Scott Evington on Blue Sky. Is the guitar playing Zora as cool as I remember? I haven't played since I was a kid, but I desperately wanted to be that Zora. Yeah, I mean, the indi- the first thought I had, I don't know if we recorded it or not, but I was like, I, I'm actually pissed the Indiegogos aren't real. But that was like my <laughs> my first thought after beating Majora's Mask is like, I live in, in an inferior reality, not having this band. They're all amazing. And they're all like very specific rock archetypes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like Lulu is like <laughs> a, amazing front woman. You have like the, I think the guy you're talking about is the dude who has fins for bangs yeah. that plays the bass. Oh my God. So cool. And then there's like the underappreciated like keyboard player who writes all the songs. His name is like Greg or something. Yeah. Uh, he's awesome. Uh, they're all great. I love the, I love that band so much. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And this is, uh, let's see. This one's good. Devin Pulaski on threads. This isn't a question so much as a request to reflect on the following. I've long felt that what is often the secret ingredient of most Zelda games is the main ingredient of Majora which is to weave the delicate balance between whimsical high fantasy, think Clocktown Day One, with elements of deep unease, anxiety, even trauma, think Clocktown Day Three. This switch between joy and pain is constant, down to the first transformation mask you get to inhabit a cute, innocent little plant creature, but the mere act of turning into said creature involves a blood-curdling scream of anguish as your body contorts to this foreign shape as your mind bends to carry memories of the deceased. The game wears the sorrows of others on its sleeve, so brazenly compared to other Zeldas, yet it's an element still present in all Zeldas, even if less prominent. Um, Devin, I've been doing this show for five years. If you want to just take over, because you've 
You've said in a paragraph what we've been trying to say for what three hours now. Yeah, uh, beautifully written. Just this. I mean, this isn't like a contest of writing, but like <laughs> this is very, very well written and very well said. Yeah, I I think this is re- this is a really special uh, comment, which is why I wanted to include it in here. Um, yeah, I don't really have a lot to add to it. I do think, as as you're mentioning, that this stuff is present in every Zelda game, and it does raise questions for me now, having played Majora's Mask. If if the through line, like, you know, there's a lot of people on forums who will say like, yeah, a Zelda game that has dungeons in it. That has a hook shot that has a bow that has a, a boomerang. But I think Majora's Mask again flies in the face of what a lot of people think a Zelda game is, but still retains that feeling that you're playing a Zelda game. And I really think that you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of what is really the core of what this franchise is all about to me, which is like, here's this kid who has to do something really, really, really insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Terrytown feels like a Majora's Mask side quest. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's a little goofier, but like it very much is moving on in face of tragedy. Yeah. You know? And I think, I think this game in tandem with Ocarina of Time also encapsulates, you know, the, the two of them together kind of encapsulates everything that you would want out of this story, you know, because the original Legend of Zelda is developed as as this way of Miyamoto essentially being like, I just I just want to make like a high fantasy cool thing. Like, I just want yeah. I just want to make you feel like the hero of a story. And I think Ocarina of Time making you the hero of legend, the hero of time. You are the chosen one. You're the savior. You're going to save the world from everything is very interesting but Majora's Mask comes at heroism from the other angle and says, you're a folk hero. You're a hero to, of the people. You are a yes, hero to each yes. individual person. And I think that what a really good Zelda game is able to do is marry the two of those in a really significant way that makes the player feel important, both individually to each NPC that they're helping on a side quest or whatever, but also holistically with the greater narrative. I think that that really is like, the fucking sauce dude yeah <laughs> absolutely but yeah i think this is all really well said um i'm thinking about just like you know now i have this like scale of like how majora e is the rest of the series yeah which i feel like is another hour conversation i also brought um, it up uh, half as a joke on discord but i'll just say it again into a microphone right now i do think that in a lot of ways the yakuza games are very close to what Majora's Mask was trying to do. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, again, like the density of that setting and helping out the people, you know, and I think like in a weird way, I think the Yakuza games are able to balance sort of like the main story and side stories maybe even better. Like I wasn't really expecting to come out of this experience saying like, like again, I enjoy the temples in this game other than great pay, but like they do weirdly feel like placeholders. Yeah. They're there for the forum lurkers who demand to have dungeons and Zelda games. <laughs> it's also the year 2000, right? They're not going to suddenly abandon yeah. the thing. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Yakuza is weirdly like any game that is another another series that came to mind in terms of like similar to Yakuza where there's an investment in the NPCs and sort of this like living interactive space is the is the Trails series. Where like oh, yeah. those games, like I've only played the first one, Trails in the Sky, but like every NPC in that game has their own story going on. And from what I've heard of like longtime fans of that series is like, 
you play <laughs> wild amount of games and like by by the end of the first one even you're so invested in like high stakes save the world plot because you know what's at stake yeah like you're not you're not just told i have to save the world like you know that the world is this town of people who you've helped and like know intimately yeah you know i think um i i, fe- I feel similarly i keep bringing up mass effect but like i felt that way when i played mass effect 2 for the first time where it's like you know oh you're this galactic hero saving the world but like saving the world means saving my crew you know the the whole game is so focused on getting to know and assembling your crew on the spaceship that like the galaxy is them and in majora's mass the world is clock town you know and like i i think there's so much power especially in the format of games and like getting to like in a movie if you give that much time to all the townspeople you get the room where it's like hey how's it going <laughs> i'll she's taking a bottle of water like you just can't spend that much time on it right but with the game like you can just talk to the mailman for two hours yeah and that is like a valid part of the story yeah we haven't brought it up in in any episodes yet but it's i think very interesting that one of the viral trends going around right now about marvel's spider-man 2 for the sony playstation 5 are these long videos of people playing a Spider-Man just standing on the street, listening to the NPCs talk with one another and have really long conversations because Insomniac recorded these like really extensive VO sessions where just two people talk back and forth about whatever. And that stuff is like blowing up on TikTok right now, which I think is amazing because it re- it illustrates the same thing that we're talking about here, which is like New York City is a place that's made up of people like New York is special, but the people who live there are really what make it special. And I think in a similar way, you know, Termina is Clocktown, but Clocktown is the people who live there and helping them each individually is the most important part. Absolutely. And it's actually probably a good note to end the episode on. Yeah. Get so fucked nice every other question. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have any more questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, I mean, I, another thought that came to mind, which I don't want to continue extending an episode that's about saying goodbye but um or about a game that's about saying goodbye but uh i think about life sims you know when we're talking about majora's mask and like how there's such a huge appetite for games that are about that space and about those characters and i think the lesson to be taken from majora's mask in in both the strengths and weaknesses of the game is like focus on that you know focus on like if, if you have enough mechanics to really support that, like that's why people play Persona. That's why people play Mass Effect. Like, you know, you don't need to like gamify it too much if there's enough incentive to help these people. Yeah. You know, you can make a town full of people nervous about a wedding feel way more engaging and more cathartic than a water temple. Yeah. So I just think that that to me is like, I, I think from playing Majora's Mask, it has helped me recontextualize Zelda. But it's also, I just think there's so many games that that like could learn from this game. Um, and I'm excited to see the influence it will continue to have because like the discussions about this game aren't going to stop, ironically, given that it's about, you know, moving on and saying <laughs> goodbye. But it just it's just that thematically rich. Yeah. Dude, people? Dude, humanity? <laughs> people are pretty good, huh? The universe gave us so many great like sign off moments. And then, you know, uh, sometimes you wait too long and the moon crashes. <laughs> <laughs> What's that face? Oh, yeah. Well, can't win them all. Can't win them all. <laughs> I love that secret ending where Link turns the camera and goes, well, guess I can speak now. <laughs> <laughs>
I suppose I blew it. This link does speak in Twilight Princess, which is very funny. Yeah, he gains a voice at the very end. He's, he's like Arthurian and like a disappointed dad. He's like, <laughs> you disgrace the green tunic you wear or something along those lines, if I recall correctly. You know, it's like, you know what I've been through <laughs> to get here to talk finally. Oh, man. Amazing. Well, why, yeah, why don't we uh, why don't we wrap up? This has been I, I, I honestly don't want this conversation to end. I still have so much more to say. But I think we should. Same. Yeah, I think as we say with a lot of these bonus episodes about games of this scale, like Majora's Mask is going to come up in so many episodes forever now. Like it's just going to be a touch point. So yeah, get ready for that. Get ready for that. Um, but hey, thank you so much for listening. I know this is a very long episode. Uh, we've been really excited to make it. Happy Halloween once again. If you're listening on the day this came out or Halloween in the future, uh, inherently Halloween energy to this episode. So even if it's March... It's going to be Halloween, Halloween eventually. Happy Halloween. Happy Marchween. Uh, thank you to our patrons who allow these bonuses to exist. You can find our Patreon. Uh, if you go to Into the Cast that online, there are links there. Uh, we're also thinking just Into the Cast on Patreon as well. Should we announce our next bonus here for people who have stuck around long enough? Yeah, let's do it. So Game time decision. Apologies to Nathan Drake once again. <laughs> uh, but uh, we announced that next month is going to be the uncharted bonus we're playing all of the uncharted games going to talk about them in one big episode we're still doing that to be clear but we were so inspired by this experience that we want next month's bonus to be twilight princess we we got to continue the story of this link so and that's I'm really excited because I, I I feel spoiled sometimes. We do a lot of, we do a lot of episodes about games that I have like a very strong history with, and you're playing for the first time, which is always fun. But I, I'm excited to get like a big splash of Brendan. Yeah. You know, like I, I want to get one of your one of your big ones. This is the thing. I f- I feel like Twilight Princess is so ingrained in my psyche. Like it feels so much like the reason this podcast exists for me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like it really it just kicked off so much in my brain. And in my love of the medium, and I'm I I've been looking forward to doing a Twilight Princess episode like since we started doing bonus episodes. It's just like the one that I've always wanted to do, but we needed to do a lot of work to get here, and it has never felt more right than right now. Yeah, just knowing that it kind of does conclude this little trilogy in a way. Yeah, exactly. So that will be that will be the last bonus before Game of the Year. So expect that in late November, maybe even early December. But and then Nathan Drake and friends will finally show up early next year we have a lot of big episodes planned this could be really fun but we're gonna we're gonna save the uncharted episode for a little bit later so you'll get twilight princess game of the year and then uh more episodes we can't share yet and then uncharted somewhere in the middle <laughs> uh you'll get more concrete details soon but for those who are our big majora heads have listened to this seven hour episode a little heads up on our plans yeah cool, cool. Well, that's it. The world's ended. But thankfully, there's a new dawn ahead of us. Wow, hell yeah. Uh, Wherever there's a meeting, there sure is also a parting. (laughs) My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet. We need need another draft of this real quick. (laughs) I know know it's a tight deadline, but we can't end that way. (laughs) Um, I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful rest of your night and happy Halloween. Bye, everybody. Happy Halloween. Bye-bye. Happy Marchween. Happy March.
Worst garbage, the online.